Welcome to That Hockey Show, part of the Go Hockey Media Radio Network. It's time to hit the ice for some puck talk, no matter how many teeth you have left, with some of the sharpest line mates covering the game. We're going coast to coast and through the neutral zone to light the lamp with all the latest hockey chirping you can handle. So, you better keep your head up, because the team at THS always finishes their checks. It's showtime. Let's drop the puck, and if we have to, drop the gloves on that hockey show where the game is always on. Yes, the game is always on right here at THS. Welcome to that hockey show, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you tuning in and subscribing and hanging with us today, March 25th, episode 10, week 10 recap of the NHL headline storylines and everything that's out of line. Hey, yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert. Holding down the THS studios here in the great state of New York. As always, you know, coming up in a little bit, we got Joe Yurden from the great city of Buffalo. We'll talk some Sabres and the Eastern Division. We'll also go up north to Canada and Montreal, and we'll talk with Costa Papoulias, some Habs and North Division, and then we'll head out to the Midwest, and we'll hang out with Tab Bamford. As we always do, we'll talk some Hawks hockey and the Central Division, and then we'll wrap things up with Steve Palumbo way out west in L.A., We'll do some West Coast hockey, West Division, and also we'll talk about his beloved New Jersey Devils hanging out over here on the East Coast. So, let's get things started on that hockey show. 11 games tonight and five games last night, so we'll start right there. The Sens beat the Flames 3-1 last night. The Wild beat up on the Ducks 3-2. The Penguins beat the Sabres 5-2. And the Jets beat the Canucks 5-1. And rounding out last night's game, the Sharks... Not helping the Kings cause with a 4-2 win over the L.A. Kings. Uh, as far as the uh, COVID and the protocols, we did have a postponement right now uh, with the Oilers and the Habs. They didn't play, and they won't be playing until uh, the Habs anyway until next week. Um, so unfortunate for them. All those games that week, they had a three-game set, the Oilers and the Habs this week, all canceled due to uh, COVID protocol. A couple players there on the Canadians. Uh, as far as tonight goes, and here we are. We're just about uh, everybody reaching over the 30-game mark. Uh, 31, 32 games here as we start heading towards the end of the season here into April. Trade and deadline, obviously, on April 12th. So all kinds of stuff happening. Big games tonight, as they are every night in these divisional uh, matchups. Isles and the Bruins tonight. Rangers and the Flyers Devils in the caps. Devils trying to make something happen here. Uh, creeping and crawling around there underneath the Flyers and the Rangers. Canes versus CBJ. Uh, big games here for Columbus if they want to try and catch the Hawks. Uh, Canes are playing lights out there, too, uh, up top So uh, in that division. Leafs and the Sens. Sens, man, look, uh, they had some fun this week. Uh, winning a couple of games, and the Leafs, uh, they can't take these guys easy. Uh, not a run over, so a good game here for the Leafs and the Sens tonight. Sabres versus the Pens. Sabres breaking records, unfortunately. Not not uh, great records, but uh, <laughs> losing records. They will play the Pens tonight. The Blues versus the Wild. That's just a great matchup there. You got the Blues and the Wild um, right up there at the top of the division with Vegas in, in, the, uh, in the West there, uh, battling for the one, two, and three spots. Florida with the Hawks, obviously a huge game for the Hawks here tonight uh, as far as playing uh, the Cats and, and, and keeping, that, uh, keeping the Preds off of their tails. Wings versus Preds tonight. Again, Preds now, you know, four points out of that last, uh, last spot there, have something to play for, so we'll see what happens. Uh, then the Bolts and the Stars round things off. Um, man, Stars have a lot of work to do. Bolts just been on fire. Uh, leading the league, obviously, all around. And then the Knights and the Avs, always a great matchup between 
Vegas and Colorado, two of the top two teams there in the Western Division. So that pretty much rounds out your games tonight. Lots, lots of hockey, as always, on Thursday. Um, so uh, some good stuff there. Let's look at the stands real quick. I do this every week. If uh, the playoffs started today, your top 16 teams, uh, Bolts in first, 50 points. Isles behind them in 40, with 46 in second. Vegas, 45 points in third. The Canes with 45 points in fourth. The Caps with 44 in fifth. The Florida Panthers with 44 in sixth. The Avs in seventh with 43. And the Leafs in eighth place there with 42 points. Jets with 42 in ninth. Pittsburgh with 42 points in 10th. The Oilers in 11th with 42 points. The Minnesota Wild in 12th with 41 points. The Habs in 13th with 37. St. Louis Blues in 14th with 37 points. Boston in 15th spot with 36 points. And the Hawks and the Canucks both have 16. Uh, both have the 16th spot here with 34 points each. And the Hawks would get the tiebreaker right now, I believe, with winning percentage, so on and so forth. So there's your top 16. Um, as far as uh, who's hot and who's not in the league right now, McDavid is still running away with it. 60 points. Can this guy get 100 points here in this 56-game season, man? We're all pulling for him. That's great stuff there. McDavid uh, just recently tied Matthews, uh, Austin Matthews, in, in Toronto for uh, most goals in the league. So now they both have 21 goals uh, for the season. Uh, season. McDavid there with 39 points. Pavelski uh, with 10 power play goals. Dreisaitl and Stamkos are right behind now with 9 power play goals themselves. Atkinson still uh, has four shorthanded goals. Not a lot being scored this year, obviously, uh, as far as uh, multiple goals uh, by players there. Vasilensky in uh, <coughs> Tampa Bay there has 21 wins, still leading the goaltenders. And Grubauer in Colorado just recently overtook uh, Marc-Andre Fleury for the lead in shutouts with five. All right, so there's your uh, your hot guys in the league there right now. Um, as far as, uh, you know, it's just some news around the league there. I just mentioned it before. As far as the Sabres are concerned, um, they have uh, lost 15 straight, and that's a record in the shootout era. And I'm sure me and Joe are going to have lots of fun uh, talking about that. Unfortunately, that is uh, not a record you really want to hang your hat on. But anyway, bravo and... Celebrations to the Sabres for doing that. Um, COVID obviously hitting the uh, the league again uh, with the postponements of the uh, Montreal games, and uh, looks like some of those games are being pushed back to May. Um, and I believe that was the first um, postponement COVID postponements in the Northern Division with Canada and stuff. So um, it's still hanging around, folks. And obviously the uh, Rangers coaching staff they're still out a couple more games too. Uh, interim coach there um, Knobloch doing a good job with the Rangers. Um, while those guys sit out. And speaking of the Rangers, uh, Shesty's back with uh, the Rangers tonight. He's expected to start against the Flyers after being out with um, a groin injury, I believe. So Shesterkin gets the start uh, with the Rangers tonight. Rangers pretty much getting a full complement of their team, uh, which they haven't had. And oddly enough, they don't have their coach. Looks like everybody's back in the lineup. They even got Kratzoff is now in town uh, from the KHL. And, uh, again, this weird season the Rangers have having, uh, having, they have everybody back in the lineup, but they don't have their head coach behind the bench because of COVID. Oh, well. Um, and then, uh, obviously, uh, we'll talk about tonight, too, with the, the guys a little bit tonight. Listen to me. Uh, today with the guys, as far as the trade deadline coming up on April 12th, uh, a couple of teams here, obviously, can definitely be sellers. And we'll see uh, who's going to be buyers here as the playoff races uh, tighten up across all the divisions here. Uh, in the league, so uh, it's rolling. It is rolling. It's been good. Some good hockey. Uh, this Tim Peel stuff. We'll get into with um, maybe a couple of the guys. I'll get their take on as far as the officiating. For me, I don't know. 
I'll just say, to me, I don't know. I just, I've just i been a hockey fan for so long. I'm not surprised. I think the league making a big statement like that. I don't know. It's a little over the top for me. Um, so we'll get we'll get the take on the other guys as far as uh, how they feel on the uh, the officiating and Tim Peel and that story going on this week, uh, which has been uh, obviously a, a big deal. For some, maybe not for all. But anyway, the game rolls on. Uh, for the most part, officiating is uh, it's it's not an easy job. It's not easy. So, you know, uh, I'm I'm not going to lose any sleep over this. It uh, doesn't seem like this guy's going to lose. He's retiring next year. Um, I imagine he's probably not going to lose his money this year or whatever the heck it is. It just seems like a it's a big close up, uh, keep your mouth quiet kind of thing, and so on and so forth. But maybe uh, you know, Joe Costa, Tab, and Stephen know a little more than me, or as far as their opinions on this. Uh, as well, but we'll we'll get into that a little bit um, as we go on uh, with the show. But anyway, that's enough of me. It's time to start bringing my line mates on here on THS, and as always in the face-off circle, our good friend Mr. Joe Yarden from the great city of Buffalo in the great state of New York. Joe, what's going on, Paulie? How we doing, my man? We're doing we're doing good up here in Buffalo. It's it's, it's almost seventy degrees every day up here, man. It's <laughs> It's almost it's bison season. <laughs> That's right. Get him, get him in here. Get them started. Get the Blue Jays back up here, please. Anything. Yeah. Anything but hockey on your mind. Get, get everybody <laughs> distracted up there. Do the Bills uh, have spring football? Like, what's, what's what, like, let's do something else, please. My God. Oh, Lordy. games. Uh, every week I uh, cross my fingers and it just doesn't happen, pal. It's just <laughs> it's not happening. So we got to. We got to do this. Well, I think what we're going to do is me and you talking. We might shorten these little Buffalo Sabres conversations <laughs> the rest of the way. <laughs> oh, you man. know, as long as they keep giving us fodder to, you know, for, for being bad, then I mean, I guess we got to talk about them. So, I, I, I mean, you, you break a, a current era record for the, you know, the shootout era record like for, for losing consecutive games. I guess that's that's a big deal. Have <laughs> you had that on your. Your bingo card this year. <laughs> <laughs> Things I thought would happen this year. Yeah, I think they'll definitely lose more than 14 in a row. I think that, yeah, that was that was the free spot on my bingo card. Let me tell you. Oh, my Lord. All right, so let's look at the bad news here. 31 games played, 621 and 4, 16 points. Eighth in the division, last in the league. Uh, since last we spoke, my friend, uh, lost to Boston. Uh, had a COVID postponement with Boston on Saturday. Then lost to uh, my New York Strangers. Uh, and then uh, Pittsburgh last night, and you play the Pens again tonight, and then Boston on Saturday. So the pain just doesn't end. Um, you know, I, well, should we just start talking trades? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, we we could start there. Um, I, I know anybody anybody listening. There's 22 wants... games left, Joe. At least that's positive. Oh There's only god. 22 left. <laughs> is that is that it? I think so. Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it's. I mean. We'll get the very few positives out of the way first. Uh, Linus Allmark is going to be back soon. I mean, Woo-hoo. there's even an outside chance he plays tonight. Does he want to come back? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, he, you know, he basically blew out his groin getting knocked out of action a month ago. So I think, uh, I think he would like to get back. And weirdly enough, that was the last time they won. It was a month <laughs> ago. So uh, you know, as far as team MVPs, Linus Allmark, Jack Eichel, eh, one or the other. I guess I don't know. <laughs> no, winning the team MVP this year is more of a more of a, an insult than anything. But, uh, but yeah, I mean that that 
that's that's the one positive thing. At least you want to see him back and be healthy. But if it's not him, maybe Ukopekalukkanen, the the most fun name. I like in the hockey way you say. say that, Joe. Uko Pekalukanen, he might he might get a chance to play tonight. So, you know, I mean, he's one of the goalies of the future for this franchise. So we'll see. But it's another game of the Penguins, which means another chance for Sidney Crosby to get a thousand points in a game against the Sabres. And, you know, he's he's made a living scoring a lot against the Sabres. So uh, so, yeah, but yeah, trades trade deadline is coming up in what, two, two and a half weeks, three weeks, two weeks, three weeks, yeah. something like that. I, April 12th, three full weeks. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, get a look at, get a look at Taylor Hall in a Sabres uniform, Eric Stahl in a Sabres uniform, Brandon Montour in a Sabres uniform for as much as you can, because they're probably all going to go somewhere else. And you know what? All those guys are very marketable, even within the division. Cause you know, I look at the Islanders, you know, with Anders Lee out, I look at Pittsburgh with Malkin out for a bit. They've got injuries. Both of those teams should be sniffing around at Hall. Yeah. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I know I know Hall's numbers are awful. He had a terrible game uh, on Wednesday night against the Sabres. I mean, he made a couple of really bad plays, um, but his play has been very good on a bad team. You know, just the points aren't there because there's no points for anybody in Buffalo mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right now. So um, but if you're Buffalo, yeah, you got to move him. I think that's the guy you're going to get the best return on. Like it's it's not going to be stall, you know, maybe stall, maybe get a third round pick. Uh, send them, you know, send them back to Minnesota, maybe send them to somebody looking for a center uh, that's that's in a playoff race. Uh, and Montour, I mean, right-handed defenseman, everybody loves a right-handed defenseman. And, you know, Montour, I think there's – Montour has been rough the last couple of years on defense for Buffalo, but, I mean, who hasn't been under Ralph Kruger, I guess, on defense. But, uh, you know, aside from Jake McCabe um, – but yeah, I, it's uh, get get your last looks. Wait for those jerseys to go on discount in a couple of weeks Man. when they're traded. You know, buy buy up those really nice new blue and gold, you know, old style throwbacks. Get a Taylor Hall collector's item. You know, that's it's, yeah, not, I mean, it's looking it's looking like that kind of setup right there. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's probably not another uh, positive thing, but I'm saying, you know, if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, I mean, you wait till the end of the season, you get tons of jerseys on sale. I guess, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's something. There's probably a couple of guys up there who's got, you know, closets full of. Look at all these Sabres jerseys I got. Deep discounts. Deep, Deep discounts, discounts, baby. I'm telling you. Like, I remember buying a Steve Ott Turdberger jersey after he got traded. I got it for forty bucks from the Sabres store. I was like, all right, oh, cool. I can get the ugliest jersey ever made for forty dollars. All oh, right, let's my. go. Classic. So look, <laughs> I want to touch on something uh, with the trade talk here, and obviously nothing getting any better. But we were talking last week about. You know, your your feelings in terms of how the coaching might go, whether getting somebody in here uh, sooner than later to use the rest of the season to develop, uh, you know, either a system under a new guy, get the young guys acquainted to maybe a, hopefully an experienced coach. Um, any Anything on the, on the you know, the, the talk wins out there as far as that maybe happening up in Buffalo? What's, what's been the feedback from uh, upper management? Uh, everything is very quiet on that front from upper management. Um, there There is talk that, uh, Jason Carmanos is going to be brought in, uh, formerly with the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, he's going to be brought in to perhaps be the assistant general manager uh, with Kevin Adams, uh, which I think will accelerate coach the coaching search uh, at that point. Uh, if Carmanos is brought in, and you know Adams is apparently poking around for for some help 
uh, for the you know as far as an AGM goes because uh, he may have discovered that this job is a lot more demanding and Ooh. difficult than first let on. And, and I think ownership decided like, yeah, if you need some help, we'll go get some help. Um, but uh, getting Carmanos in will be, it'll give them a, a very knowledgeable helping hand. Uh, a guy who knows his way around the league, obviously uh, from, you know, working in Carolina, uh, you know, his dad being the former owner of the hurricanes, uh, uh, Peter Carmanos. Uh, and uh, you know, it, as far as the coach search, I think that front is going to get very interesting pretty quickly. Uh, you know, obviously you got Boudreaux and Gallant and Julian out there. I think Boudreaux is a guy that they really like. Uh, but uh, Providence College didn't make the NCAA tournament. And that means Nate Lehman is yeah, available to be spoken to. And that's that's a guy who's been a person of interest for the Sabres in the past. So, um it's get that, that I think that's the real that that's the next intrigue level as far as the saber season goes because it certainly isn't going to be on the ice. It's going to be it's it's already looking looking ahead to what they're going to do uh, for for the next year or two as far as the coaching goes. But um, but I expect I expect that uh, the coach search discussions and the interviews should they happen, uh, it's going to get very interesting. But I will add it, it's been refreshing honestly to hear from Don Granado talking about the very obvious shortcomings with this team mm-hmm. uh, of late and hit and his direct efforts to address them. You know, when it comes to Jeff Skinner um, you know, everything that happened with him and Kruger that, you know, I mean, Jeff will never say anything about it. And, you know, Ralph, Ralph said his bit, you know, while he was running the show and uh, the last few games, uh, Skinner's been playing 20 minutes a night. <laughs> wow. And, you know, he... Well, for that money, know, he, he should be. Give him 30 yeah, minutes. I, he should be. And he's, you know, and honestly, he's too. played well. Right. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, he's a guy that you need to, to get the production from. And you need to see what he's what he's doing. So, you know, that's, that's encouraging to see. And, you know, with Eichel out, I mean, you need everything you can. But uh, you like seeing that. Um so I mean, there there are efforts being made to try to correct the problems. You know, go, you know, steps back to Darlene. I know Darlene had another you know questionable low light. Now he wasn't helped out by uh, by Hall trying to pass to him on the power play, but um, but he had a rough game again last night. But you know, they got to get him right. You know, the guys like that, you have to get right. They cannot afford to not get a guy like Darlene right. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm just listening to you talking about Granado there and Girardi. I mean, it's also as far as this decision and what they're going to do too. I mean, obviously these guys know. They're on a very short lease because whoever comes in might not necessarily keep these guys on their staff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I mean, what a position those guys are in there, too, obviously, to take advantage as much as they can as far as uh, putting this stuff on their resume for future. Uh, Because if there is a change and, if you you know, one of the guys you mentioned, like I said, um, you know, one of the experienced guys comes in there, you know, they're going to bring their own guys in. There's no doubt about it. And as far as the guy from, uh, you know, Providence, too, I imagine, you know, all those guys, they'll all bring in guys that they know and, and everything else with no disrespect to uh, Granado and, and, and Girardi there. But um, mm-hmm. you, you'd wonder if that's also a factor, too, as far as them making a decision as well, just for those guys. I mean, uh, maybe they don't even care. I mean, obviously, the long term is the most important thing, and it's just part of the game here with guys getting interim spots and then moving on. But it's different, like, in, in New York, Knobloch's going to go back down to Hartford. I mean, what what's... Mm-hmm. What's Granada going to do? He wasn't, he wasn't coaching uh, any of the affiliates, right? No, he was the assistant. He was the assistant coach under, under Kruger. Yeah, so, so. Um, so, I mean, they, that, that I think if you're looking, if you're looking at the ownership as, as ones to try to, to try to find a way to curb costs, 
you know, maybe that's a reason why you hire Lehman and say, like, we already got your assistance for you. You know, we got Don Granado. We got Matt yeah. Ellis. We got Dan Girardi. So you're set there. We'd like these guys to stay. So if that works for you, then, you know, come on board. Here's a three-year contract. Uh, would, but would, certainly, Joe, would there be a money issue, though, in, in Buffalo with Pagula? It's, you know, it hasn't been before. And I think it's a, I think it's a bit of a misnomer, but, um, but I don't know. There, there's part of me that believes that there are ways that they're trying to figure out ways to, to, to curb costs. But then again, uh, the talk is that they're going to be adding, you know, they're going to be shifting some things around with their scouting department, which I assume means they're going to be adding people, uh, considering they fired everybody when they hired Kevin Adams. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, they fired over 20 people. Wow. Uh, now granted that's in the heart of, you know, the lockdown, the COVID shutdown and all that. And, you know, they're not making any money, but, um, but I'm hoping maybe that they've got a better idea of what they're, you know, you know, and this is where the goofiness with, you know, owners that own multiple franchises comes in where, you know, you have separate budgeting for each team where, you know, the bills have tons of money because, you know, the NFL con, you know, the TV contracts huge. The NFL makes, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars every year. And the NHL doesn't make quite as much money. I mean, they still make a ton of money, uh, but it's not the same, but it, to me, those discussions are, are goofy when it's the same owner because the money's coming from the same place. Mm-hmm. I don't care how you budget it. It's still a $5 billion owner, whether they, you know, whether they're putting only, you know, X amount of money in the Sabres, in their Sabres coffers and X, X amount of the bills. It shouldn't, that shouldn't matter, but it, it does to them for, for whatever reasons. Uh, I don't know if they, they just feel the Sabres are a huge loss leader. And they're just like, you know what? We got to try to find a way to curb our losses there. Whereas the bills are just making the money hand over fist. Yeah. And, you know, they're just like, oh, we're, we're a wash in cash here on this one side. And this other, this other side is, is a loser. It's, it's like having the, you know, the, the, the step kid that is just like not pulling their weight. And they're just like, yeah, whatever, just go eat in the garage or something, you know, <laughs> it's like one of these, you know, these kind of stupid cartoony things, but, um, but it's, it, you know, you hope that that doesn't come into play. And it's certainly, doesn't seem to show. I mean, they're, but you know, the, 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 the amount of money they spent on the salary cap this year is still a lot. Um, they're, you know, it's not, they, you know, they were the team that spent the most money to get Taylor Hall, you know, everybody else was rumored to be offering five or 6 million a year. They spent eight. Um, so, you know, money's not really an object there, but, um, but certainly, I mean, you know, when you're paying, you know, you're paying Ralph Kruger $4 million, almost $4 million to go away. Um, you, you're still paying out your your former assistant GMs, Randy Sexton and Steve Greeley. You know, Jason Bottrell's obviously moved on to Seattle. But, you know, and I, I know Sexton's uh, taken up a job somewhere else. And Greeley, I don't think Greeley's been rehired anyplace. But, you know, those are executive guys that you're paying a lot of money to. And, you know, you, you're paying them out for another year or so. Um, and you know, they've done that in the past with former coaches and GMs that they just let go. I mean, they finally stopped paying Tim Murray this past summer after they fired, hey. they fired, they fired him a couple of years ago. So, I mean, you know, it's things like that where, you know, this ownership operates kind of like a, like a, like a small time, uh, like a general store sort of, you know, yeah, sort of where they, they look at things yeah. in like those small pictures, but, but in reality, the, the picture is gigantic and they have tons of money and they can afford to do these things. And I think it vacillates from day to day operations, whether or not they feel like they're they're like, no, hey, we're billion dollar. You know, we're billionaires. We're building a super yacht. And then other days they're just like, you know, pockets out, you know, Monopoly man, like, oh, geez, I don't know if we can afford this or not. You know, it's it's the kind of thing where it's just it, a lot of stuff doesn't make sense here. But like if it comes down to money to decide on a coach and if 
to me, if you got a choice between a college coach who's never coached in the NHL before and it's a whole different ball of wax and an, an experienced NHL guy who's, you know, made the playoffs 10 out of the last, you know, 10 out of his 13 seasons, um, you know, with a various group of talent. I don't know, maybe pick the guy who's done it before and has a track record of of playing some energetic hockey and leaning into his offensive stars. I don't know. like That to me, but it, you know, it depends on what your focus is. If they're going to tear it all down and rebuild, hey, start with a new guy and let him build it in his in the image that he wants to see. But if you want to end this streak and this drought of not making the playoffs, you want to get there faster and lean into the guys that you have in Eichel and Reinhardt and everybody – get the guy that you know what he can do you know it's that that's that to me is is what it comes down to and if that's their philosophical question they got some bigger they got some bigger fish to fry because if they're thinking of tearing it all down and you know rebuilding from from the bottom up again boy good luck good luck selling any of that to the fans Joe, I, I don't know if I mentioned this last week. I think it said something about a book, but I'm listening now. <laughs> you, but what you could do is the rest of the season, you could you could design a handbook, the Sabers handbook, you know, like or uh, how to not do this or the mistakes, the mistakes handbook or something like that. But man, it's uh, you know, when you lay it out like that, that is a uh, dire. Yeah, it's uh, it's tiring. So let's <laughs> let's wake up here a little bit and start talking about teams that are actually winning and a little more stable upstairs. <laughs> All right, buddy. Let's let's look at the season division uh, uh, as it goes here tonight. Obviously, a big game here with the Isles in Boston. As far as the uh, top four teams, the Isles have been uh, hanging in there even without Lee. Uh, forty six points, Caps behind forty four, uh, Pitt there forty two. So those are your top three right now. Boston there lingering behind uh, six points behind Pittsburgh. Obviously, big two points for them to get them tonight. And then you look south a little bit. Flyers knocking at the door with thirty four points. Rangers hanging around, and you know. Even just for the fourth spot, the Devils actually look halfway decent this past week, too. So, I mean, this is the fun part of the season for us now because yeah. it looks like, you know, most of the, the top three teams in each division are kind of pulling away. There's enough points where they're going to kind of secure uh, their spots here, and now it's really getting down to that fourth spot and seeing who's battling for it. So let me just ask you a quick overview of uh, of the division right now. Well, I, I, I like – you know, I'm a little bit concerned about Boston, although they got a lot of games in hand coming up. I mean, they they play what 28 games, and I, you know, I see Philly and they're like they're two back of Boston, and you know, Philly's been a little dicey to say the least. But they play 31 games. Yeah, like they're they they've flown past the the middle the middle part of their season, you know, and they're at 34, and that doesn't sit well. You know, Rangers Rangers are in the same spot. They played 31 games as well, and it's a lot tougher when I look at you know Boston. I mean, Boston's got what seven more games with the Sabers oh. coming up this year. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying that's 14 <laughs> points to add to the total, but I'm saying it's at least double figures. Hey, boys, take it easy tonight. We got seven with the Sabers <laughs> later on. Don't kill yourselves, all right? But like, you know, you got them with seven more. Pittsburgh's got like, I mean, they play them tonight, and then I think they've got oh. uh, five more with, with Buffalo. You know, Washington and the Isles have basically already played all their Buffalo games. It's it's stupid to look at this at the schedule this way, but you kind of have to, yeah. you know, because those are almost it's almost the free square and bingo is when you get the Sabres coming up. Um, I don't I don't think it'll be like that the rest of the way. But I mean, what if it is? You know, that's that's the whole thing. But um, but I mean, you know, the Isles and Washington, I mean, they played they played an awesome game 
the other night, uh, earlier in the week, I should say, uh, where it was just a knockdown drag out. And, you know, Washington kind of fed it to the aisles a little bit in that game. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of stuff where I see that happen. It's like, wow, Washington really, really kind of, you know, ransacked them. Aisles won't forget that. The Isles yeah. are not going to forget that kind of game. And they're going to be like, well, all right, you got, you got your, you got your win tonight. All right, we'll get you next time. Like that, that to me is a setup for, for the playoffs. When you get those, when you get those kinds of games where, you know, you get, you get kind of one kind of hung around your neck and it's just like, ah, that's, that's tough. Uh, but I love that. But seeing Pittsburgh kind of jump up a bit here is a little surprising, especially because you got Malkin out. You know, their defense has been rough all season. You know, Jari's been a little all over the place in goaltending. Casey the Smith kind of bounced them back a little bit recently. So they've, I don't know, Pittsburgh's weird, man. Like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I said from the get-go, I was not feeling Pittsburgh from the from the beginning this year, but man, they're, they're holding they're holding stuff down, and they're getting some they're getting some good depth play uh, from their other forwards, and I think that you know that's the, that's exactly what you need in this kind of season. So good on them for for holding strong, and you know obviously obviously you get a couple of cupcakes recently with Buffalo, but um, but you know empty calories are still are, are, are fun calories when they when they go in yes. the win column here. So, uh, <laughs> but I mean, but still twenty wins is nothing to sneeze at. And they got like what's here? They've played oh they've played a ton of games too. So they you know they played 35, 35 games? No, thirty three games. Thirty three, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's I don't know. Like that, that's I mean, hey, you get twenty wins, you're you're ahead of the you're ahead of the pack for most of these teams. So that's that's strong. And you know, we'll see we'll see what happens with Boston. We'll see what, what they can do with the Isles because the Isles have given them headaches all year. I think the Isles have driven Boston crazy yeah. this season. That's that to me. If that ends up being your first round matchup, that's I mean, that's not one where uh, if you're Boston, you're not looking excited about that because I, I don't I, something about that matchup does just does not work at all. And I would I would have thought Boston would be a much more fit pairing against them, but it just does not seem to work. But um but yeah, I mean the, the top four has kind of settled itself out here uh, because I think you know if Philly's going to get back into this, man, they get they got to get D help. They got to they got to get their goalies uh, some psychological help here. I mean they're driving Carter Hart and Brian Elliott crazy uh, with with how poor they've played defensively. And I know there, there's there's rumors out there of them sniffing around for for some defense help, but. It's gonna take more than one guy. I know that I know Philly's talking about Eckholm or Ryan Ellis out of Nashville, and either one of those guys would be a huge help, like without a doubt. But is just one guy gonna fix it? I don't know, man. I that's they need a couple of guys to help that out, and you know they're they're you know they're they're cycling guys in and out of that D that D the D court and just try to get find something. Av's trying to find anything there, yeah. and it's just it ain't working. It ain't working, and it's it. It reminds me, reminds me a bit of Av's last year with the Rangers, a little bit, and even like his last year of Vancouver, where he was just trying, grabbing at straws, trying to find anything that would work. And it seems crazy that Av's already running into this now. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, and I, I don't know. They're they're in a very they're in a very precarious spot because I really thought this was going to be a leap off year for the Flyers, and instead they've just kind of just stumbled over themselves completely. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's just because it's, you know, it's, it's Carter Hart not playing, playing well at all, 
or if it's just the D is completely collapsed around itself uh, in front of them. It's they're they're in a they're in a very weird position. And you know what? I look at the way Chris Knobloch coach. You know, I mean, granted, it's you know he's doing whatever Quinn wants him to do with the Rangers. But Knobloch was a guy who was in the who was in the Flyers system. He was coaching. He was uh-huh. an assistant. I think he was an assistant with the Phantoms, uh, where he was the head coach of the Phantoms, and the Rangers stole him away. Uh, but man, that's. To me, he's the guy where you're just kind of like, this guy's had it coming for a while. He's going to be an NHL coach at some point. Yeah. You know, he was a great coach at Erie. You know, he's, you know, he steps up the Ranger. you know, Rangers, Rangers dropped a nine spot on, on whoever, uh, who was that? They, they dropped nine goals, nine goals in two again. periods against, against the Flyers, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, the thing them. about the, the Rangers there real quick, which is, you know, maybe a tough spot here for the Flyers too, is because the Rangers, and this is how weird this season is for the Rangers. They finally got everybody that's on paper, even with Shesterkin coming back, right? They've got a, they've got everybody, you know. This is goes back to the Tony D'Angelo thing, to where they are now. They've got everybody in the lineup, and they've even got Kratzoff coming up. You know what I'm saying? But they finally have a full lineup. Everybody's in, right? And the head coach is not playing the bench. I mean, they couldn't <laughs> line it up. You know, I know it's it's working, but hey, look, these guys, the Rangers right now. They've got everybody, so they really have no excuses, and Knobloch's coached them well here, obviously, and, and, and Quinn sending the singles in, but they get back behind the bench here uh, after this weekend, and, and the Rangers, with their schedule, I mean, they got they got everybody. They got all the ammo, mm-hmm. you know, so who yeah, knows? Yeah, it's time for a push. Like, yeah. you gotta show you got to show what you got here, and if they don't show a push, I don't know, maybe that's it for Quinn. Because it's been, you know, it's been a few years for Quinn, you know, and if you got Knobloch sitting there in the waiting and he's already shown you, like, he, he, you know, you know, he could pull the switches. I mean, maybe you just got to say, like, all right, sorry, sorry, Quinny. It's uh, it's time. It's time for it's time for Chris to take over here and see see what he can do with this. But uh, but you're right. I mean, Rangers, I don't know. Rangers are way more interesting to me for for the lower four teams in this division. The Rangers are way more interesting to me. Like Philly feels like a disappointment. Rangers are really interesting. The Devils are just kind of eh, like you know, yeah, whatever. You know, get your stuff figured out, New Jersey, and come back next year. And then, <laughs> and then Buffalo is just like, all right, guys, just, just sit down, <laughs> sit down already. This is a, this is a two two twenty six winning percentage, guys. This is this ain't doing it. Like, like it's uh, take a break for for a while, you know. But I mean, uh, but the Rangers, I don't know. I just see the Rangers makeup of their roster, and I'm just it's way more interesting to me, like that. You know, with Lafreniere and with Panarin and, you know, you get Kravtsov coming up. That's I mean, that's exciting. Uh, you know, with the goalies with Shesterkin, he's I mean, let's see what he can do with, with him healthy. You know, I love Truba on defense. They've got there's so many more parts with, to the Rangers that make them more interesting. And if they play an exciting style of hockey, man, that's entertain. That's an entertaining team yeah. for me and to for me to watch. We know it's there as fans. We we know it's there. We're just kind of waiting for it. But like I said, this is like the first night tonight. They've got everybody. Everybody's on the bus, and now we just got to see what happens from here on out. Joe, real quick, last thing before I let you go. I don't know if we can do this quickly, but obviously <laughs> the Tim Peel thing, big story here this week with yeah. the officiating and everything. Um, just just give your – don't worry about me. What's your take on this real quick? <laughs> um. It feels like he's the scapegoat. Thank you. He is. For, All right. He is. You know, um, everything that Bob McKenzie was saying on NBC last night about how uh, the officials aren't, you know, the, the league and the officials aren't in a big hurry 
to to change how games are officiated tells me that you know Peel got caught saying what everybody everybody's always said and understood all along that they're yeah. just doing game management crap, um, and they want to move past it as quickly as possible, make sure it's forgotten that nobody remembers. Well, problem is hockey fans have elephant memory and they never forget. <laughs> and la- for crying out loud, even last night during the Buffalo Pittsburgh game, Middlestack gets hacked down on a on a on a mini breakaway. They don't call a penalty shot. And then Victor Olsen, not too much longer later, gets hacked down the same way. They call a penalty shot. Everybody's like, it's a makeup call. They did it. Hey, I heard there was no makeup calls in this game. So, you know, but it's but now you've put your league in a position where the refereeing is going to be under a microscope every single game from here on out until something gets addressed. And you've got all the same people in charge of this that you had 10 years ago when Colin Campbell's emails got out with him you know, bitching to Steve Walcom about, about how his son was getting mis- mishandled in games and, you know, different guys getting missed calls and calling Mark Savard a crybaby diver, you know, like these are the guys that are in charge. They didn't get knocked down a peg. They got promoted. So, yeah. you know, it's, this is the way, this is the way the league wants it. And that's the bad part. And I'm hoping, hoping beyond all hopes that gambling money is going to make them take a longer look at this and say, Hey, maybe we need to stop being screwballs about this and actually start, start calling games the right way. I know when it comes to officiating, every league will say, well, Hey, any, any attention is good attention, but this kind of attention is not good attention. This is, this is people saying like, this league is fixed. This, you know, it's ruined. They don't care. You know, what, what am I spending my money on for here? It's a mess. Yeah, it's, it's almost like bad. the Buffalo Sabres organization. Really bad. Oh! <laughs> also right, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right, buddy. Great stuff as always. I really appreciate it. Great talking to you every week. Love doing this with you. Uh, have a great weekend, man. Uh, keep working on that handbook for me, okay? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll start plugging away at it a lot harder this week. Let me, let me... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Joe Yurden, everybody. Oh, talking Sabres and the Eastern Division. And THS rolls on! Alright, it's time to head up to the Great White North in the beautiful city of Montreal as we bring our good buddy Mr. Costa Papoulias, ladies and gentlemen! Costa, what's going on, buddy? How's everything? Well, nothing's going on in Montreal, man, because, you know, the Habs have two players with COVID and everything gets shut down until the 29th. Unbelievable, man. No, no fun. Don't they you know me it, and you man. have a segment to do every week? Yeah, I know. You, you figured they, you know they would do something about it, but hey, you know it's, it is what it is. It is what fire it is. everybody. I say fire everybody. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Why not? And then put out a public statement about it. Yeah, Ugh, unbelievable. All right. Yeah. So look, so. Uh, a couple of things here. You guys are in uh, stalemate here, obviously, uh, with the the COVID protocol here. Um, so we'll just do, uh, we'll do a little start up here and we'll just kind of backtrack a little bit. 31 games played, 14, 8, 9, 37 points, fourth in division, 13th in the league since last week. You guys split with the Canucks at home with the 3-2 OT loss on Friday and the 5-4 win on Saturday. And then obviously no games this week. Get four games on the schedule, postpone to COVID, three with the Oilers and one with the Sens. So your next game is tentatively scheduled for next week against those pesky Senators. But, um... Yeah, so I guess luckily Vancouver lost a couple of Winnipeg, mm-hmm. and uh, they don't play now until uh, the 31st, I think. Uh, so as far as the standings, I guess you guys are all right. Uh, 
Calgary's lost two in a row to the Sens, and uh, they've got three more coming up with the Jets. So you guys might still be all right, you know, as far as the fourth spot here in this division. No issues with this uh, this COVID pause. What do you think? Yeah, we might be all right, but we're not all right. I mean, you know, Saturday's win in, in the shootout was the first overtime or shootout win the Canadians had all season long. They were 0 for 9 before that. And, you know, whether... You look at it and you think to yourself, is it who they're starting? Is it who they're playing? Is it what they're doing? If you watch any game that the Canadians play in overtime, they're trying to make keep possession of the puck nonstop. And what's happening is you got guys like guys that can handle a puck like Jonathan Drouet and Jesperi Karkinyemi and so on and so forth, skating up to the offensive blue line. And then if they can't get into the zone, they drop it all the way back. Now, on Saturday, what made it even worse, like, I don't have hair to begin with, and I was trying to pull out what little I have left. <laughs> they were passing the puck all the way back down to Carey Price. In fact, they did it four times. What, are they playing and I'm soccer? Th- exactly. I, I, what is it? I, I'm the Greek here. You're not supposed to be doing that kind of stuff. I don't understand <laughs> what they're doing. And so they're sending it back to Carey. I'm like, they must be trying to get him points. I, other than that, I have no reasoning behind it. Right? I can't understand it. Uh, it boggles the mind. I mean, other than the fact that they want to keep possession of the puck and they don't want to give it up to anybody else because they're putrid in overtime. I mean, it, it, it's just, okay, wh- wh- where's the attack? Where, where's the, where, where's the wanting that extra point? You know, like you're saying, they're sitting in fourth, you know, you want that extra point. You need that extra point. Why are you like throwing the puck back and regrouping every two seconds because you can't get across the blue line. And so what teams are doing against Montreal now is they're stacking the blue line three wide and like, Montreal can't get across. Oh, they're going to throw it back. I'll four-check one, keep two back, and it's just a vicious cycle. It's almost as bad as when uh, when uh, Philadelphia had Chris Pronger sitting in the face-off circle and not moving because Tampa was playing a 1-3-1 that was passive with Guy Boucher behind the bench. That's It's almost that bad. You, you got know, where some everybody, memory, brother. Peter LaViolette and Boucher wanted to... Peter Laviolette and Boucher wanted to kill each other because, you know, it was like it was like watching, you know, the Germans and, you know, the Allied forces standing, you know, in no man's land and nobody wants to move forward. Yeah. Same thing, you know, and that's what's happening to Montreal. I don't get it. So how long before uh, Duchamp is fired? <laughs> I don't I don't even know if it's a I don't I mean it's been what two it's been three weeks. Obviously we'll give this week a pass, no games, but I, I I don't I don't hear any I don't hear any big movements here with this this change, Costa. Well, it's 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 you know if anything, I mean, a week, the week off is going to give Ducharme some time to review because obviously he's not going to sit on his hands. He's not that type of guy, you know, and it's going to give the other coaches a chance to talk to him and be able to try to formulate some kind of game plan moving forward. Problem is the Habs can't practice, but at least they can get that game plan going. And it's, it's you know, it's something that like, people have clamored for here in Montreal for years. And that's the fact that, and, and something I mentioned before on the show is that they don't have an identity. So I think if this week would be a key moment in time for Ducharme to try to establish some kind of identity for this team. Are they going to be, you know, a transition team? Are they going to be a puck possession team? Are they going to be a defensive team? Are they going to be a trapping team? You and I both can't answer that question because every game we watch, a different version of the Montreal Canadiens shows up. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's like, it's like Jekyll and Hyde, like we say, right? One day they're, they're like world busters, and the next game they're getting their butts handed to them. So... If Ducharme can sit down and actually establish some kind of a, a, even if it's a temporary identity for this team, where they they try to stay consistent at least for a week and see where they can move forward from there, I think that would be beneficial given that they can't do anything all week and can't hit the ice. And what's the strongest part of the team you think you can start that identity from? Is it, uh, you know, in nets with Carey? Is it the defensive defensive, uh, squad here? Or do you, I mean, the guys are still, I mean, 
putting the pucks in the net there the other night, obviously, and the scoring's been somewhat, you know, consistent where it's been spread out. I mean, where do you start? What would you do? Well, well, the whole thing is, is that when when you look at this team from Carey to Jake Allen, the, the defenseman and the forwards, everybody's able to distribute the puck rather well. It, you don't have, you know, uh, uh, too many goons on this team like they used to have that had, you know, stones for hands. I mean, you've got guys that can move the puck. You've got guys that can shoot the puck. You've got guys with speed. You've got guys that can get into open that have good hockey IQs. And so to me, I mean, you, you can kind of take this team and turn it into a hybrid transition puck possession team because they have the talent up front to hang on to the puck in the offensive zone. The biggest problem that this team has had is that nobody's been able to guide them in the direction where, you know, okay, the puck's coming out of the D zone properly. You're getting the distribution up front. You're getting speed to the neutral zone. You're attacking the offensive zone. And then what happens once you're in there? Unless the Canadians attack right off the rush, they're not scoring goals. They're having trouble doing that. So to me, the thing they have to work on most is going from that transition to the neutral zone into the offensive zone, establishing possession of the puck and position and trying to, to, to create different avenues and lanes to confuse the defense. Because the opposition's defense right now, it's rather easy for them. If the Canadians are going wide, they take a shot on goal, puck either misses the net or the goalie plays it into the corner, and their defense will pick it up, and they play it out of the zone. There's no maintained uh, you know, pressure. And so as long as there's no pressure in the offensive zone, you're not tiring out the other team's defense. You're not keeping possession. You're not, you know, you see other teams do it all the time. Even the Rangers, to a certain extent, man, your team, you know, they're young enough and they know if they have possession of the puck in the offensive zone, they're able to go out there, change lines while they keep possession of the puck and still give it their all offensively. The Canadians haven't done that in years. And it was one of their strengths for the better part of like, you know, half a century almost. So if the Canadians can do that, I think you're going to start seeing, you know, more success up front. More goals, obviously, and the more time you spend in the offensive zone, obviously the puck's not in your net. So, I mean, it's a win-win all the way around. Gotcha. So, I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, Deshaun getting the week off here. Let me ask you this, too, as far as your observations, too. And, I mean, I know you've coached on many different levels yourself. The adjustment from um, – I know he's been an assistant coach. He's obviously been up there. But, I mean, is there is there is that a big jump to start managing, a um, you know, an NHL team on a full-time gig as, as, as opposed to anything Deshaun – has experienced before. Obviously, he's had tons of success on other levels. But do you see uh, maybe he's having some adjustment problems here, again, matched up against other experienced coaches and other uh, systems like you're talking about? You're hoping that the the Habs here can get some kind of an identity where he's playing up against, you know, Paul Maurice with a, a system in place, you know, and um, obviously uh, the Leafs and everything else and, and the Oilers, you know, experienced coaches there. I mean, Keith, obviously, he's finally getting his grasp. We've talked about him and his uh, maturity and his advancement mm-hmm. now, and he's got that team rolling. Uh, but talk about that a little bit in terms of how you see Deshaun adjusting against playing against other NHL coaches. Well, if you look around the league, I mean, the, the, to a lesser extent, year by year, um, you know, you don't see those, those repurposed coaches that go from one city to the next. You're starting to see that younger generation of coaches come up. And I say younger, I'm older than they are, but whatever. You know, it's like, you know, those guys that are in their 40s and 50s that have sort of transitioned with the game from, you know, the game being you know, a little bit more stagnant where the red line was in and now coming into their own where, you know, they know the, the, the zones are all opened up. You can use the stretch pass. You can do all kinds of different things. And you can think outside the box offensively. And, like, that's that's the, the group that Ducharme is, is part of. And whether you're looking in Ottawa with DJ Smith where, you know, he's, he's of that generation or Sheldon Keefe who's of that generation as well 
Or, you know, you look at other coaches. I mean, John Cooper can be put into that list as well because he's a newer coach and he hasn't been recycled or regurgitated like guys like, you know, Torts or, you know, Claude Julien, Alain Vigneault, Peter Laviolette, and so on and so forth. You know, once that's all, you know, you look at it, the guys like Vigneault and Julien are going to be the guys being going out and then guys like uh, Dominic Ducharme and Keith are going to be the guys that are going to be pushing this league forward. I think Dominic Ducharme is right in his wheelhouse. He's a good delegator. He's a great hockey mind. I think it's just a question of, you know, transitioning from what Claude Julien was doing to what he wants to do and establishing that trust between the coaches that he has because, you know, uh, Richardson was a little bit more used to Julien who was a little bit more defensive-minded, whereas I think Ducharme's trying to open up the game a little bit more. And so, you know, Richardson has to adjust to that and it may not be within his wheelhouse. So his comfort level is off a little bit. So they all have to find that comfort level, whether it's Ducharme, Richardson, Alex Burroughs in his first gig at the NHL level. You know, he was great with the, the AHL team. So now he's moved up and you've seen that he's had success as far as running the power play is concerned. So these are all different things of the new generation that's coming forward. And I mean, the Canadians have plenty. They still have Joel Bouchard on the farm, who's one of those newer coaches that thinks outside the box and had success at the junior level. So you add him to the mix as well, and the whole organization is going in the proper direction. Well, that's good to hear, man. I mean, I guess, you know, if anything, look, there's a there's no guarantees here, and we'll shift over here to the division as a whole uh, real quick. But I guess, you know, if they can just hang in there, I mean, they'll, they'll, I, I'd have to feel, I'd be shocked if they don't hang on to this fourth spot here uh, when it all is said and done here. Um, you know, and just looking at the rest of the stands, I mean, Vancouver's played the most games here in the division with 37. Um, you know, and then Calgary is, is still, you know, hanging around there. They've got 33 points. And then Ottawa, you know, it's funny. They're, they're, they're like bees, man. They're just buzzing around, and they're causing some trouble here too as well. But um, just, you know, if the Habs can just hang in there, I guess, and, and Deshaun, maybe this break will do good. And these guys, they know what they have to do. Me and you have talked about this, right? It's wins and losses. you got to go out there and win the games, get the points. Uh, it's just, just as simple as that. You, you know who your opponents are. Seven teams in this division. Um, you know, uh, as far as the struggles at the bottom of the division here with Calgary and Ottawa causing trouble, Vancouver can, you know, you've seen enough of those guys as well. But flipping up to the top here, it's a dogfight now between Toronto, Winnipeg, and Edmonton. And like I said, you guys are holding that fourth spot. Where do you look at the division as a whole with those the way those top teams are playing, and especially the way Winnipeg has kind of revved the Jets up here, not to use a pun, but they've kind of really kicked uh, kicked things up a little bit, and 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 Edmonton really seems to get in its groove on. Oh, they they they, they definitely. I mean, Edmonton Edmonton's playing exactly the way I, I described the way Montreal should play, in the sense that they've got that quick transition game through the neutral zone, and they maintain possession of the puck in the offensive zone. I mean, that's the reason why this team is so dangerous. Their biggest flaw is the fact that defensively they're not great, right? They've got good goaltending in Mike Smith. Like Koskinen is hit or miss, but Mike Smith has given them some stability in net, which they were missing earlier on in the season. You know, uh, Darnell Nurse is coming along very well. The defensive core is playing well enough, and their strength is being able to transition the puck to the offense. And once they get it to the offense and you've got, you know, Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, you know, McDavid, Cassie, and the list goes on and on and on up front. I mean, once they get into the offensive zone, you, you, every, every defensive team against them is a mess because they can't keep up with the speed and the talent that that team has. And right now they're playing the right way. Dave Tippett has changed his thinking completely and has gone away from being that defensive-minded coach to the guy who's going to push this team moving forward offensively. And he's seen the success, and he's going to continue moving that way because he's no slouch and he's no idiot. 
right? And he's one of those guys, you know, he's not a newer generation coach, but he's smart enough to know that, you know, his systems didn't work with the talent that he had on this team. So he's changing it. And now he's getting seen the success that this team should have had with other coaches four and five years ago. Just, you know, it's that stubbornness that sticks in your head, you know, whether you're talking about Todd McClellan or whether you're talking about uh, Glenn Galutzen, you know, there were all guys that just really didn't understand that they couldn't play a defensive game with the offensive talent that they had. So now they are. That's why Edmonton got success. The Jets, so long as the Jets stay healthy, they're dangerous. The Jets notoriously get hit by the injury bug, you know, in an 82-game season around the 40-50 game mark. When you're looking at guys like Blake Wheeler, who's got bumps and bruises, you know, you used to see it all the time with with um, Dustin Bufflin, who's no longer with him. He'd always have bumps and bruises. You know, Mark Shifley was good for a couple of stretches on the DL as well. You know, they're relatively healthy now, and they're playing extremely well, given the fact that they've got their whole roster. And then you look at the Leafs, Sheldon Tifa hasn't won running like a well-oiled machine. The only team that's going to beat the Leafs is the Leafs, period. If they get into their own head, they're screwed, and that's what's going to happen. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. If If they don't succeed. Absolutely, but, you know, you look at this now, these three teams, they know they want that number one spot because they'd love to get that, you know, you hate to talk about that fourth spot, that first round. Mm-hmm. Because you you know you're either going to have one of those three are going to be playing each other in that first round, uh, the two and three spot there. All you got to look at is to know who's hungrier. Absolutely. And right now, amongst those three teams, I think the two hungriest teams are Edmonton and Toronto. So it's going to come down to which one of those two wants it more, right? You've got those young guys in Edmonton who are starting to see that success. And, you know, the minute you start to smell success and taste it, you want to start jumping ahead. And Toronto is the same thing. But Toronto always gets in their own way, and that's what worries me about that team. It's not the coaching. It's not the. It's not anything else. They get into their own heads and they start doing their own thing. And when they start playing as individuals as opposed to a unit, that's when they get into trouble. And that's when Keith has to start adjusting and this and that. And that completely throws everything off. You know, if they play as a unit and they continue to maintain that same consistency up front where you've got Matthews and Marner and yeah, you know, you've got Nylander and on the back end, you've got Riley and in goal, Frederick Anderson plays well, they're going to be fine. There's no two ways about it. And I don't think there's a single person, not just in this division, in this league that can argue that point. I agree with you, man. It's going to be fun stuff to watch here. These last 20 some odd games uh, to see how they go out and beat the hell out of each other. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, without a doubt, man, without a <laughs> doubt. I, that, that's the one part you look at because because this, this season's so short, I mean, those the next 27-odd games, I mean, that's pretty much your playoff stretch, which would be, you know, after game 60 in an 82-game season. So it's coming earlier. It's coming faster. The teams are fresher. It's going to be a hell of a thing to watch. Absolutely. All right, one last thing, uh, Koss, before I let you go, I'm asking everybody today, just a real quick thought on the Tim Peel and the officiating here in the NHL and how they handle that. Okay, well, I, I, I will tell this this much from personal experience as far as Tim Peel is concerned and my personal opinion. I don't think he was ever a good NHL referee. You know, despite what some people think, I put him in the same category as Chris Lee where they're trying to control the game and they're trying to be the game. This league does not need officials like that, and they don't need officials like Tim Peel who think they're better than the game itself. To be, to be mic'd up and to turn around and say that, you know, uh, he wanted to give Nashville a, a bleep and penalty. I mean, there should be no reason for a referee to say that. And I, and see, I know you're good friends with Kerry Frazier. 
I'd love to see hear what Kerry has to say about it because, oh my God, you know that you're, you're talking about a guy who you know was rarely mic'd up and was well respected throughout the league. I mean, it, and of course he's a hero because we won the '93 Cup because of Kerry Frazier. But anyway, that's another story for another day. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's it's like you know he's gonna look at that and he's gonna be like, I, I like what can I say? Because you know, Kerry's not gonna want to insult Tim Peel in any way, shape, or form. But I think the league by just pulling him out and saying, nope, you're not refereeing any NHL games anymore. It was the right thing to do because there's no – the officiating the, the officiating's already scrutinized to the, through the teeth. You don't need this from a PR perspective for the NHL, and I think they handle it very well. All right. That's a good viewpoint on it, man. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I haven't even looked to see what Kerry said on it. You know, I haven't uh, – I have to check out and see if he's been on uh, anything. And see don't look – Get him to talk about it on the air, man. That's the way it goes. Yeah, I know, I know. I'll, I'll have to check in. I'll check in with Kerry and see how he's doing, man. But uh, good stuff. We'll see how this plays out the rest of the way in, in not only this season but the future for the NHL. What a mess anyway, either way. Casa, you are not a mess. You're aces, as always. Appreciate you jumping on here with me. And uh, Have a super weekend, and uh, hopefully you get to watch some Canadians uh, hockey next week, brother. No more COVID, brother. No more COVID. I want to see <laughs> hockey instead. We're with you, man. All right, buddy. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much, man. Costa Papalias, ladies and gentlemen. Talking some Montreal Canadiens and some North Division there, as he does every week with us. Always good stuff with Costa. And TJS Rosen. All right. It's time to head out to the Midwest, the great city, Chicago. And hang out with our good friend, Mr. Tab Bamford. We'll talk some Hawks and the Central Division. Tab, what's going on, brother? Welcome back. What's happening? Good to see you. Hear you. <laughs> Same here, man. Yeah. It's a uh, another beautiful Thursday here in Long Island, New York. How are things in Chicago? Better than Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Joe no. might still be listening. Be nice. <laughs> sorry, 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 Joe. Uh, no, I mean, in all seriousness, at least they've got the Bills. Um, and I can't talk. Like, they've got a quarterback. The Bears, the, they've had Jim Kelly, uh, which is more than the Bears have had in 60 years. So uh, we've all got shade that we can throw. I'm not going to pick on Buffalo, but, man, it is tough out there. Uh, I really feel for the fans because it certainly feels like you're getting 60 minutes of quit every night. Did it, did it ever get – was it that bad ever in Chicago? The old days? You know, I don't know that I would say that I, you were watching 60 minutes of quit. You know, in the years between Chelios getting traded away and uh, really Taves and Kane arriving, and I'm not going to hold Seabrook and Keith responsible for some of the dumpster fire because they were learning on the fly, but. You know, I think the the difference between those Blackhawks teams and this Buffalo Sabres team is you've got Jack Eichel and Taylor Hall and guys like Eric Stahl. I mean, they've they've got like top three picks yeah. in the not too distant past. There's no questioning that, you know, they've got talent. They have skill. The Blackhawks just didn't have the horses. You know, I think you look around the league right now and there are teams that, you know, are, are going to be on the come soon. Um, I think there are teams that have some older stars that, 
the youth movement isn't supporting them. I look at like San Jose where they threw a lot of money at Burns and Carlson and, and haven't done a, as good a job as they should have backfilling with talent. I mean, I look kind of, I think Detroit's roster right now is kind of where the Blackhawks were at during that time period. Dylan Larkin's a nice player. He's not a superstar. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what the Blackhawks were. They, there, there was no, I mean, there, there were guys that were entertaining, but there wasn't somebody that was making you say, you know what, I'll skip the fast food this weekend and go watch a game. Uh, because back then it was, it was it was a fast food meal and it wasn't you know a mortgage payment like it is now for the Blackhawks. Yeah. So it, it, the 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 thing that's so hard with Buffalo is you've got money being spent, you have talent on the roster, you've got names that people recognize that you expect more from, and it's just not happening. So that that's why it's tough for the fans, but. You know, don't I don't want to bury Buffalo too hard right now because they're doing it to themselves. But man, it's a it's a tough spot for them out there right now. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely, it really is. Tough. At least they're in, at least they're usually the first name listed in power rankings. <laughs> uh, the cruelty continues. All right, let's start talking about these Hawks here. Uh, we'll do the recap here as we usually do. Thirty three games played, 15, 13, and five. 35 points, 4th in division and 16th in the league. Since last week, since we spoke, lost 2 to Tampa, uh, beat Florida Tuesday 3-2. Got Florida again tonight, and then Nashville this weekend, who's slowly but quietly creeping up towards that 4th spot as things are getting a little tricky down there in the 4-5-6 spot. Uh, We might have some... Some trouble here going down the road here. But anyway, um, a little overview on on their past week here, uh, Mr. Bamford. Uh, well, we, we just got done talking about a whole lot of quit in Buffalo and Jeremy Carlton called out the effort in Tampa, uh, after a couple games where the Blackhawks were really flat and, uh, you can't, I mean, your a game for these Blackhawks might not be enough to beat Tampa, but they've shown that they can compete with them this year. They've beaten them before. They've taken them to overtime, uh, but they weren't as competitive as you'd want for a team that is trying to keep itself in a playoff spot right now. Um, and you're right, with Columbus and Nashville both winning five of their last ten, the Hawks you know, are, are sitting there with a two-point margin on Columbus and four on Nashville. they got work to do. Um, so they're starting to have some pressure applied, which is good, because I think the Hawks kind of – for a couple weeks there, A, they ran into a buzzsaw. I would submit the hardest road, uh, you know, stretch of games away from home, maybe in the entire National Hockey League. Um, and uh, and then they come home and they get Florida, which should have been uh, a tough couple games. The Blackhawks, will be honest, uh, are getting pretty lucky. Uh, Alexander Barkov not playing in the first game. He's not going to skate tonight, dealing with a lower body issue. Um, he has murdered the Hawks this year, especially uh, in the faceoff circle. So, you know, I think faceoffs was a, a, a big issue for the Blackhawks on the road trip. Um, they came home. They fared fairly well against uh, Florida in the game on Tuesday night. But again, you know, you've got a 12 pound asterisk on that. No bark off. So the compete level was great. 
Florida put it on them in the third period. I shot them, I think, two to one. And they were able to hang in. Lankinen was much better. Um, but again, you know, I think you have to wrap each individual performance or each stretch of two, four, six games with these Blackhawks in the context of this is a learning season for most of these guys. Mackenzie Entwistle made his major league debut uh, on Tuesday night. He's going to be out for Matthew Highmore, who's gonna, another young guy who's going to get back in the lineup. So, you know, when you've had, you know, eight or nine guys making their NHL uh, debut this season, you're going to have some moments of frustration. You know, Calton limited and whistled to six minutes. He's still a couple shots on goal, a couple hits. He was productive in the ice yeah. time that he got, but he was very limited. And so you're, you're seeing a lot of names coming through the lineup, and I think if the Blackhawks can, can find a way to hang on to that four spot and start to sort some things out, it looks like Kirby Doc might be coming back sooner than later. He's been skating with the team since the start of the road trip. Uh, he's been grinding, doing some extra physical stuff, trying to get his uh, you know, durability on skates back to where it needs to be to play a game. Uh, and, I mean, that's a huge addition going back to them at the dot and struggling at the center position. Adding you know, the number one center of the future of the franchise would be huge. And then the Hawks can start making decisions around Doc's health at the deadline. So the compete level was better against Florida on Tuesday. We'll see what they bring tonight. Uh, but you have to acknowledge that Barkov wasn't there because he's been an absolute Blackhawk killer this year. Yeah, and he's out again tonight from uh, what I'm reading here on the preview. So, I mean, with a big uh, – you definitely can't look ahead. But, man, I, I don't – you know, obviously the last few weeks me and you have been talking, I, I would sit back here and I wouldn't have thought that a, a weekend series with the, the Predators was going to be much of a big deal. It was maybe hopefully going to be a point grab. And, and here they are. It looks like it's going to be a big weekend. Obviously the Hawks would want to definitely get the two points tonight riding into that big uh, weekend series against uh, the Panthers. I want to ask you this um, – I mean, you, you've always seemed to have pretty good vibes on Carlton here, and I was just talking to Costa about uh, Ducharme and how he's doing, and and obviously, uh, you know, Joe talking about Buffalo, what they're going to do with their coaching and stuff like that. But uh, just your your take so far here with the you know thirty plus games here for the uh, the Hawks and stuff, and and all the things that you talk about, uh, all the young guys into the lineup, um, you know, not having Seabrook, obviously Taze being out here, uh, Kane uh, carrying the workload. Uh, Lankinen gets his 11th win the other night. Uh, you know, a, a bright star in this team. Talk about the job that Carlton's doing here as a whole with all those different factors, uh, you know, having these folks at least in a competitive position here at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot going on there. So you have a team that is really at a crossroads in the history of the franchise. Uh, Taves is off the grid right now. Doc has been out the entire season. Um, John McDonough was let go during the, the lockdown. So now you're looking at the top level of the organization was restructured. They split business ops and hockey ops. So Stan Bowman, uh, apparently won the, uh, the internal, uh, tug of war with John McDonough. He survived. And now you're seeing him push the team forward with, I think he did a really good job in free agency. Uh, addressing some of what the team needed. Matthias Janmark has been better than expected. He's got 10 goals in 33 games, which is 
I don't think anybody saw a guy with, you know, I think nine goals last year and most of a full season in Dallas coming in and eclipsing that in 33 games. Um, you know, Carl Soderberg has been the best Blackhawks center at the dot. That was a need, you know, big physical center. Um, you know, some of the younger guys that are matriculating up, I've been banging the drum for Ian Mitchell all year. Uh, he continues to show flashes. I think, uh, you know, Adam Boquist has started to look more confident in the last few games. Still some mistakes there. But again, we're talking about kids that are still finishing puberty. So let's get over the fact that they might cough it up every once in a while. Um, it's, it's a really hard job for Colton, though. Uh, I will acknowledge that. A couple healthy scratches of Ian Mitchell on the road trip because – he wanted him to take a step back and, and watch some film, watch the team, and get a feel for it. Um, you know, the ice time for Dominic Kubalik has been all over the place this year. He's still got 26 points in 33 games. Um, so he's still producing uh, half of his points coming on the power play. But, you know, when you're experimenting with lineups, when you've got guys coming and going because of COVID, I mean, look, Alex Dabrinkit, second on the team, he's averaging more than a point a game. He missed games because he was in COVID protocol. So was Boquist. So Strom, Dylan Strom had a concussion and missed the better part of a month. So injuries happen. COVID has happened. You're working guys into a scenario where there's no butts in the seats most night when there are not many. Uh, you've got a completely different regimen of protocols that you have to go through just to get on the ice to practice, much less play a game. And I think Calton has done a pretty good job. I'd probably give him a B minus right now of uh, navigating the mix of older players and younger players, when to play a guy, who they're going to promote, who's going to get in, uh, and who's going to get action on uh, the different special teams. Everybody loves to sit back and be a Monday morning quarterback. Everybody wants to second guess. It's easy to second guess a young coach with a young team because when mistakes happen, you can always say, well, this guy should have been there. Uh, but you have to wrap it in the context of this is a learning curve season. The Blackhawks were projected to be sitting down there in the dumpster playing with Coles with the Detroit Red Wings. Yep. And we are almost at the midway point. We're past the midway point. We're, mm -hmm. you know, what, two weeks from the trade deadline now, three weeks from the trade deadline, and the Blackhawks are sitting in the four spot. And – they're doing it with a hodgepodge of young kids that a lot of people around the league have never heard of. Blackhawks fans are still figuring out how to spell the name Kurashev um, and Bowden. But look, these guys are coming into the league showing that they can play and giving Calton a lot of options. And I think if he had 12 forwards that were NHL viable, uh, it would be a lot easier to make out the lineup card. But it looks like the Hawks have actually got more than they anticipated, uh, and that's what's going to make them interesting at the deadline. Who who stays around? Which one of the? How many of these kids are they showcasing? How many are they playing for the future? And who gets out of the way to make room for some of these kids that might be part of the long term answer in the, in the National Hockey League? Now, that, on that point, there, I guess maybe that hits me a little bit. Um, do you think the Hawks will make some moves? Do you, do you you feel that that there might be more than one or two? I do. Uh, you know, NBA trade deadline day today. Uh, the Bulls making a lot of noise in Chicago, making a couple moves already before lunch. Um, 
I think the fact that the Blackhawks are, first of all, competitive in a spot where they could go get playoff experience. We've watched March Madness. I'm not going to be irrational and say that the 16-seed Blackhawks can upset the one-seed Tampa. Anything can happen in hockey, though. Mm-hmm. We know that. We've seen that. But um, but let's just say the Hawks get in. They draw Tampa or Florida. The overwhelming odds are that they're going to get their tails kicked. If you wrap that again in the context of this being a learning curve season, that is incredibly valuable. For guys like Alex Dabrinkit, Alex Dabrinkit had never been in the playoffs before he went to the bubble last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids like Adam Boquist, uh, Ian Mitchell. I mean, look, Ian Mitchell played high-level college hockey. That's not the NHL playoffs. That's not playing for a Stanley Cup. So uh, for a lot of these young guys, uh, Brandon Hagel has been phenomenal. I think Chicago's fallen in love with that kid. It, getting in the playoffs is valuable. I don't gotcha. care if, you're, if you've got a snowball's chance in hell of winning it. It's valuable. Mm-hmm. So... Do I think that the because the Blackhawks are competitive, they'll make moves? Yes. More interesting about the Blackhawks, with Brent Seabrook unofficially retiring, permanent LTIR, with Taves gone for the year, with Andrew Shaw looking like he's not going to be back, if ever, um, from uh, his issues right now. The Hawks are sitting on about $20 million in cap space because of the guys that they have on LTIR or who are going to be uh, you know, long-term outs, uh, you know, obviously doc will come back and that'll take a little bit away from that. But if you're sitting on 20 million in cap space, that's where it becomes interesting for the Blackhawks to possibly looking at, at adding either prospects, NHL players to affect not just this season, but the short and in- intermediate term, maybe draft picks because they can bring back a bad contract. Uh, you know, the, there've been rumors that, you know, with the New York Islanders trying to add some scoring and some of the guys that the Hawks might be willing to put on the market, like Yanmark, would the Blackhawks take back, uh, you know, a high-level prospect or a, no, or a high pick uh, and take Andrew Ladd's contract back mm-hmm. to get it off the books for the Isle, who are in cap hell right now? Yeah. And, and they are definitely a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, and so if they could bring back some scoring, get lads money off the books. And if the Blackhawks could, this is where a team that was up against the cap in cap hell for most of the last decade can now be on the flip side. They can go poach those really good young prospects, maybe some NHL players that'll help them in the next few years or draft picks to help the future by taking back a contract because this year they're sitting on this massive amount of cap space and they know with Seabrook announcing that he's never going to play in the NHL again, they're going to have that $7 million on the LTIR for the next couple of years. So they got some wiggle room to play with if they want to bring bad money or dead money back. So um, obviously LTIR is going to be a different situation when they want to spend in the summer. That's something that Stan Bowman's talked about. We'll deal with it when we get there. They dealt with it with Marion Hosa when he was different injury, same circumstances as Seabrook, had some dead years at the end that he wasn't able to play. Um, so Bowman's navigated those waters before, but I do think the Blackhawks are, are a really strong candidate to make the trade deadline interesting, even if it isn't going out and getting some superstar that puts them over the top. Taylor Hall is not going to make the Blackhawks a Stanley Cup contender, and they're not going to trade for Jonathan Quick or some goaltender that's going to suddenly take Lankinen's job away. I think Lankinen's worth building around. Yeah, I think Lankinen has shown that he's worth investing a couple years in to see if what we've seen this year 
if he can hold up under the firepower that comes at him from a Florida, from a Tampa, who, again, will not be in the Blackhawks division next year. Let's remember that the three best teams in this division right now are Carolina, Tampa, and Florida, who are not in the NFC North, if you will. I mean, look, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna swap them out for Colorado and Minnesota and St. Louis. So not let's not act like you know they're gonna and they're giving away Detroit. So let's yeah. not act like they're getting buried by the way that it was reworked. But the top three teams in this division right now are teams that are not naturally in the Blackhawks division. So yeah, good point. I think that I, I think they're in a good place to be excited about what the future can bring, utilize this massive amount of cap space to be creative. Uh, and maybe leverage some of the veterans that they have, like Yanmark, uh, who's a, who's really a rental on a team that's building, to bring back something that could help them beyond the 2021 season. Good stuff, man. No, I didn't look at it that way, but uh, I think you you nailed it too with getting them some. They got a they got a gun for the playoffs. I think uh, that's a huge thing. And then as far as how they would use their assets. Um, for advancing, you know, the Hawks' cause here going forward is also some great points, too. But, Tab, please don't send the Islanders anything, please. All right? I don't need that here in New York, all right? You know? Don't send the <laughs> Islanders anything that they can use to win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Look, you know what? Uh, it's been a long time, and we've we've talked before about the dynasty with the Islanders. And, you know, when you look at where Buffalo's at right now, and then you look at where the Islanders are at right now. The Islanders were not good for a couple weeks <laughs> um, to sugarcoat uh, a few years there. So mm-hmm. I think that what I appreciate about watching the Islanders play is, uh, and I, I, I enjoyed it when he was in Washington, it, the only coach that I would take if I if my team had to line up against Joel Quinville for seven games the only coach and I would include Mike Babcock in this conversation the only coach in the National Hockey League that I would want behind my bench is Barry Trotz Love the guy, yep. I think he is criminally underrated yep. uh, I think I, I think when the dust settles and he decides that it's a career uh, I'll be right there banging the drum for him to be in the Hall of Fame. I think he is an absolute tactician, uh, a, a genius. What I mean, he got a Vetchkin to play defense. That might qualify him as a Jedi. But <laughs> he he's marvelous. And so watching what he did in Nashville uh, for all the years that they get, I mean, look, they had the, when he was, he and the Predators had the Blackhawks on the ropes in 2010. That series, if the Hawks had not, come back in that series the whole dynasty might be different yeah uh, and so i i love watching barry trot's work because that man is as good as it gets and he's got a team that is willing to run through a brick wall for him or skate through a brick wall i guess it would be to adjust a cliche but uh, he's got a team that'll do the work for him with the islanders and that's all he needs to win and so sorry for uh, ranger fans out there that don't want to see the aisle do it but uh, that's a look. Trotz is a grinder. When you've got the talent that they have, it's a fun brand of hockey to watch. When you can complement that grinding work ethic with a lot of high end skill. Yeah, well, dude. Look, man. I mean, it's it's hard even as a Ranger fan here too. You get a guy like Lamarillo there running the front offices, and and Trotz, who I've always adored, just like you as a coach. 
Um, and it, to me, I've, I've loved the fact that they've come here because even though I'm a Ranger fan, I'm on Long Island here. I've worked with the Islanders over the years, too. Uh, they've always been great to me in, in, in a lot of productions I've done over the years. It's great to see them get – I mean, they got a new building coming around. Uh, and I, last thing I'll say, I've had the pleasure of working with Butchie Goring. Uh, I did a show with him years ago and the Dynasty guys, and I sat around these legends. And as a Long Islander, what's happened – to see that franchise kind of become a joke and a clown franchise uh, amongst the rest of the league has been painful for me because what these guys did here were just incredible. And this it should still be a shining star uh, in hockey and especially here on Long Island. So, look, quietly I'll admit it, if they win, it'll be great for the uh, the town here and great for uh, um, you know the franchise and everything else and, and going forward. And the last thing I also want to say, on this, if you didn't see Brent Sutter's interview on uh, Chicklets last week, and it reminded me of some of the conversations I used to have with those guys years ago with Butchie, listening to those stories, what those guys yeah. did, uh, uh, the stories with uh, you know playing for Coach Al Auburn and everything else. For me, Islander fans should listen to any of those interviews with the old guys. It's religion because what those guys did here was just incredible, and they probably could have won six, 79. They lost to the Rangers there. And they just ran out of gas there against the Oilers. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, let, let's not ignore that. Uh, the, you don't have to tell me in Chicago how good those Oilers teams were. I mean, you look at the Blackhawks in the '80s, and you know, I I will hopefully not go to my grave without him in the Hall of Fame because I keep banging the drum. But I think one of the reasons that Steve Larmer is so taken for granted historically is because he played in the same division at the same spot as Yari Curry. Yeah. So. Um, you know, and I don't have to tell a Rangers fan about how, how, how unique and special historically Mark Messier was. There's a reason the leadership awards named for the man Mm -hmm. and it's not the chrome on his melon. So the, the Islanders are, they've got a really unique fan base. It'll be great to have them competitive. And I think the league benefits from having teams in major markets competitive. Uh, when when you've got the big cities watching it. I mean, look, the revenues were through the roof in the 2000s because which teams were going to Stanley Cup finals every year? L.A. Kings, Boston Bruins, Chicago Blackhawks, Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, you've got, and you know, Pittsburgh's not L.A. or Boston or Chicago, but look, Sidney Crosby stirs the drink, right? Let's not ignore it. The NHL would undoubtedly kill to have Connor McDavid get himself in a, a deep playoff run. That's up to the Oilers' front office to figure out. But I think if it's good for the league if you've got a team from New York competing. It's great for that fan base. And as a fan and as someone who covers a team that went through some really ugly times, I can appreciate and sympathize with fans loving and relishing the team coming back to relevance, much less prominence. So kudos to them. Absolutely. All right, Tab, last thing before I let you go, I'm asking all the guys today, just your quick take on the league here and the Tim Peel situation with the officiating and uh, that whole Michigash this week. Uh, Yeah, so anyway, um, officials uh, making makeup calls. Uh, In related news, water is wet, and tomorrow (laughs) the sun will rise in the east. Uh, (laughs) things, Things we already knew for a thousand, please, Alex. No, it, it here. The, the, it frankly, it surprises me that it took until almost April for this to happen. You've got empty barns. You've got hot mics everywhere. The other night, where you know you're watching the broadcast of the Blackhawks game, and you can hear 
the the Hawks had a couple great shifts in the middle of the game, and you could actually hear on the broadcast the goaltender for Florida yelling, ice it, ice it. Just get it the hell out of here. They hit in the zone for two minutes. Yeah. But you could hear on the broadcast the guys yelling, ice it. You can hear, I mean, you can hear F-bombs getting dropped all over the place. I don't know how they're skating around the FCC with that stuff. That's not my problem, though. The fact that it took this long, because you players talk about this chatter. It happens. Mm-hmm. It, 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 officials are wink, wink, nudge, nudge with the guys, and they know. You know, you get a tripping call in the third period after the other team gets – you listen to Pat Foley call a game or anybody. You listen to Edzo on the national broadcast. Doc tried to avoid it, but it, it's part of the narrative. You call three in a row on one team, the next one's probably going to be on you. And you see coaches saying, don't do anything that's even close to remotely quasi-illegal because it'll get called because the other team got the last three. So it's a balancing act for the officials and the fact that in empty arenas with hot mics everywhere that you heard the guy saying it. Like I said, I'm shocked that it took this long. Will the league do anything to permanently rectify things? But what can they do? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I umpire literally games in my teenage years. And if I missed a strike, kid might get an extra inch on the outside corner at some point in the next couple batters. That's just how it is yeah. and uh you hate to see it affect games you hate to see some of the timing of the makeup calls uh you hate to see sometimes you feel like maybe now that you've got similar crews working one game to the next and with these back-to-back stacks on the schedule sometimes you see early penalties if, if it was five to one on the power play register on tuesday night maybe it's three to three and you get an early one on the other team on thursday uh, but I don't know, you know, I think the league can just gently remind. And I think the way that they quickly walked away from, I mean, they punted. That's a 70 yard punt on Tim Peel. Uh, Do you think that was right doing it or is that just, yeah, they, they had no choice. Yeah. They had no choice. I mean, a, the dude dropped an F bomb with a hot mic. So that's going to cost him a couple pennies and B he said what everybody knew in the room mm-hmm. that makeup calls are a thing. And you know, it's like the general manager of the Seattle Mariners acknowledging that a young prospect didn't sign an extension. So they're going to bury him for 18 days or 20 days, even though he's clearly ready so that they can manipulate his service time. He got canned a couple days later because you can't, there are elephants in every room in every professional sport. And if you take the bandaid off and say it out loud, you're saying what's supposed to stay behind closed doors. And what Tim Peel did on the ice with a hot mic was say what everybody knows happens. And when someone says it, now you can go on record and say, look, he acknowledged it. Now we all know it's actually happening. We all knew it was happening anyway. Tim Peel didn't change anybody's perception of officiating in the National Hockey League. You have good nights, you have bad nights, you have people welcome who you'd love to avoid, like the plague. And you've got other guys that are a little bit more favorable towards your team. They can't take this out of the game because officials are going to keep doing it. I think now officials just know to turn their damn mic off before they're going to tell somebody that they're trying to level the effing thing out when, when they send them to the box. So, you know, I, I think, you know, that's something that we'll keep an eye on. And then, you know, one, I'll throw one final nugget in there for you with, you know, as we try and get out of the COVID thing, you know, Montreal, it looks like getting caught up with COVID. They're going to miss a few games. Zach Parise goes on the COVID list. Earlier this morning, uh, word leaked out that it looks like Notre Dame got hit with uh, a case of COVID on the roster. So, unfortunately, they're out of the NCAA tournament. 
um, which is a tough blow because you know they're now that they're in the Big Ten, I think they get a little, you know, a little bit more love in the in the greater Chicago area. Uh, but they're a national powerhouse, and one of their young guys, a, a center by the name of Landon Slaggart, was a third-round pick of the Blackhawks in 2020. Uh, he's a stud, and uh, I will be very interested to see if the Blackhawks try to talk uh, of a pretty good young center, 22 points in 25 games as a true freshman, um, see if the Hawks try to convince him to join the, the professional ranks for the rest of the season and moving forward because he's good, he's talented. Uh, he was a national freshman of the week, uh, I think, once or twice this year. So uh, I'll keep an eye on Landon Slagger, uh, but it sucks for Notre Dame that they got hit with COVID uh, as the NCAA hockey tournament was uh, getting going because I think they were one of those teams. You know, the Big Ten's the king right now. Notre Dame, Michigan, Wisconsin, yep. um, chasing chasing the Frozen Four, and uh, the Irish are out. So. Um, that sucks for Notre Dame. It sucks for hockey fans uh, that like watching the college game. There's some really good pro prospects and draft picks on that roster who, unfortunately, their season it appears has come to a close because of COVID. Yeah, it's a shame. Look, they're all great programs. I mean, we're seeing proof of it in the drafts here in the NHL. Hey, look, man, if you can't play, you might as well go come up and play with the big team if you can. That'd be great to see. But, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, well, and even, even get yourself a PTO and get into the AHL for the rest of the season and have that entry level start next year. Um, but look, he's, he's a big center, a uh, lot, lot of skill, a lot of grit, uh, would be a great compliment. I think long-term to what, you know, knock on wood, hopefully Jonathan Taves comes back, but I think he's a guy that when you look at what he's been able to do at Notre Dame this year and you envision him and Kirby doc being building blocks down the middle at some point, um, it, it's exciting, but We'll see if the Hawks try to convince him to be a one-and-done in college because he had a good enough year that I think the Blackhawks have to be at least interested. And they took him in the third round. And as the Hawks, going back to our conversation about the trade deadline, if the Hawks are going to start moving some pieces, some guys in Rockford are going to have to move their way up to Chicago. And that's going to open opportunities for people to skate in the A. So um, that, that's what's interesting. Uh, when college seasons end and guys start signing, there's got to be somewhere to put them if they're going to sign. So who's going to make room? Uh, and uh, and that's something else to keep an eye on. So um, hoping everybody stays healthy. Hoping everybody – well, I'm excited to watch some college hockey in the coming uh, weeks. But, uh, yeah, it sucks for Notre Dame. It certainly does. Well, like I said, we'll see what happens. And, hey, looking good there in uh, Chicago one way or the other, no matter how the season wraps up uh, going forward. Looks like they got a good coach, some good prospects, and a good uh, system in place going forward. Tab, as always, great takes. Love talking to you, man. Thanks so much. Have a super weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, brother. Sounds good. We'll talk to you soon. Be good. All right. Tab Bamford, everybody. Talking some Hawks in Central Division. The Little Islanders today. Crazy. Anyway, THS rolls on. All right. It's that time. As we do every week, to head out to the West Coast, the left coast, the best coast. Well, it all depends on where you are. Either way, it's time for some time with our good buddy, Mr. Steve Palumbo, in the great city of angels out there in L.A. on the West Coast. Steve-O, what's going on? Welcome back to THS, brother. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure to be here, buddy. I might be on the best coast, but you are the best host. Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> Man, I, 
I hope that was off the cuff and not something you wrote down. It just came to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So how you doing, brother? How's things out west? How's the weather today out there? Uh, you know, it's been unseasonably cool the last couple of days, but it's supposed to warm up this weekend, so hopefully uh, we get a little more sunshine in this great state of California. But uh, it's in the what low 60s today and cloudy, so it feels a little cool. All right, good. Well, you know who's pretty cool on the ice this past week? These are your New Jersey Devils. So let's uh, let's talk some puck here from New Jersey first before we uh, work our way out to the uh, Western Division uh, that you love so well, but maybe not as much yeah. as you love your New Jersey Devils. All right, 30 games played, 12, 14, and 4, 28 points, 7th in the division, and 27th in the league. Since we spoke last week, you've gone 3-1. and one. Two and one, yes. three games versus Pittsburgh, and you beat Philly Tuesday night four three. Yep. All in the midst of a six game road trip, which is going to take you to uh, a couple of back to ga- back to back games here with uh, you know uh, some other teams coming up here with the Caps. Can you handle the Caps? What's going on? Two tonight. I'm sorry. That's right. Two tonight with the Caps. Two back to back tonight with the Caps. Starting tonight. Wow, I can't speak, Steve. This is what <laughs> happens. I'm trying to so read exciting. my own writing, and it's horrible. And I'm going to leave this up for the fans to hear. I'm not going to edit this out. So you got back-to-back, starting with the Caps tonight, then two with yep. Boston, before two more with the Caps. That's what I was trying to say, Steve. Yeah, that's a murderer's row. Uh, <laughs> in this, <laughs> Yeah, it's a murderer's row in the schedule. Uh, the Devils have had their difficulties with the Caps. Uh, the Caps have, uh, you know, they've hung with them five-on-five, five, but the special teams have of. Done them in, so it should be interesting to see how they handle these next few games. Boston uh, is going to be looking, you know, to kind of get square. The Devils have handled them a couple times this year, and and Boston's playing better, so uh, it's going to be tough. But uh, they have been playing some pretty good hockey. They're getting a lot of contributions from uh, the young guys in the lineup. Um, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch to see guys like Yegor Sharangovich and Yanni Kokkinen, and even the old guys like Travis uh, Zajac putting the puck in the net. So they're they're playing better. They seem to have come out of that funk they were in after the COVID break. And, uh, you know, it's just like we said, we just want to see improvement throughout the season. Um, they've signed a couple of their college players um, to entry level deals. So you're starting to get some more um, some more youth into the system. So uh, nothing but positive vibes right now. And I don't know if you saw that stat, but the Devils have the most points by players under the age of 23 oh, in the entire league. Bravo. Uh, so you guys, that, got, you guys got bragging rights over uh, Buffalo with good news. <laughs> you know what? We're in seventh place, and I think we're going to stay there because I don't see Buffalo making a run to catch us. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> yeah. Well, you you know, I mean, you're only eight back of the Bruins, man. You, you know, win the two, uh, you know, coming up, and uh, you're in the dance, man. There's no doubt about it. I got to tell you, it looked really bleak there, and just to see some life here, getting a couple wins here and, and being more competitive. And you talk about some of the bright spots in terms of, uh, um, you know, all these different young guys contributing and everything else. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it's even where we are in the season, obviously next week we could be, you know, I could be playing taps for uh, the devils, but, um, <laughs> you know, at least you gotta be happy with um, them kind of bouncing back. I mean, it's been an up and down season for them. We've, we've talked in length about, you know, the COVID break, We've also talked about in depth about the schedule, uh, new system under Lindy Ruff, but an experienced guy, PK back there. We raved about him last week as well too. And, you know, somehow, some way they're, they're not 
you know, they're not going off the cliff here, Steve. So, you know, I you got to be happy about that as far as, you know, all the different mixes, all the storylines, and the fact that, man, if they if they were able to in the next six games here put up a fight and steal some points, they're going to be dragging around. And then, you know, we joke about it too, about that four-game stretch with the Rangers in April. That could be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they – they, yeah, if they, if they do have a good little run here um, in these next few games, yeah, it'll put them in position to, uh, you know, to make the rest of the season pretty fun up until the trade deadline uh, and beyond. You know, they, the things that I've seen from the Devils recently are, are really promising. I mean, Mackenzie Blackwood is, you know, put together three quality starts in a row. Your special teams are improving. You're getting, uh, you're seeing a lot of maturity and growth from. Uh, guys like Jack Hughes, and you're just you're just seeing a lot of stability. Uh, Lindy Ruff is is holding things together, and the team's starting to believe in themselves again. And you know, like like we talked about in the last you know few shows, you know, just wanting to see progress, wanting to see the team improve and stay competitive. And you know, you can't as a Devils fan, you can't really ask for much more right now. You want to just can see the continual you know continually play well and. I think the next two games against Washington are going to be a real challenge. They're feeling the Devils are feeling really good about themselves, and Washington's feeling really good about themselves. So it'll be interesting how they how they kind of handle uh, playing a team like that, a, a team with uh, you know the pedigree of the Washington Capitals. They the last time they they ran into Washington, they were in the middle of that funk, that post COVID funk. So uh, I think I think they'll give the Caps you know uh, a run for their money tonight. Yes, and uh, unfortunately, I did hear that uh, Ovechkin, even though he got banged up a little in the last game, he will be in the lineup tonight, I think, believe, maybe. So, and look, this is just good tests for this team, you know. I mean, just looking at this division here in terms of how it's uh, shaping out a little bit, I mean, you look like you have the Islanders and the Caps pretty much uh, running away with things. Pittsburgh's, yeah. the jury's still out, but, you know, they've got, you know, they're, they're you know, six points up on Boston for that fourth spot, so... It's really, you know, it's it, that's the line there. Boston down to you guys. And right. Rangers now have a full team, you know, first time since this season. I was joking with the other guys, too. But they, they, they have all the pieces together, but they don't have the coach, the regular coach behind the bench. <laughs> they can't line right. it up, the Rangers, one way or the other. But, you know, um, I think we have some fun to look forward here. And I, I'm, I'm a little happy for you that the Devils might be in the mix because they, they did. They surprised me last week, especially how they played against Pittsburgh. Um, and it probably woke Pittsburgh up a little bit in terms of how maybe they might need to make a move here or two at the trading deadline. Yeah. And that's what I want to ask you. Where do you think the Devils, what's a trading deadline for this team? Um, you know, let's say they, I guess you got to give it to me two ways, Steve. Let's say they drop out and that playoff spot isn't achievable, but then they're also, they're in its playoff spot mm-hmm. and they might maybe need one or two guys. Is it important for the Devils to go deep in this playoffs if they were to make it? And or would you just maybe step back and keep using the system as a development system? And maybe that's how you got to look at the trade deadline. You know, I don't think this season was ever about making the playoffs or, you know, making a deep run in the playoffs. It was all about just kind of seeing how the pieces fit together and and what was going to be part of the core going forward, regardless as if uh, if the Devils are in the hunt or out of the hunt. I think their approach to the trade deadline is going to be the same. You're going to see some of these expiring contracts get moved, uh, especially some of these vet guys. Uh, if that includes Kyle Palmieri, who, I, who all signs seem to indicate the Devils want to resign him, but he's a name that keeps coming up, uh, connected to a lot of different teams. Even a guy like Travis Zajac just played you know, his 1,000th game with the Devils. He's a guy who would fit really well in, say, Long Island. Uh, he's got a relationship with Lou, so that, that makes sense. 
guy like Ryan Murray, who's been in uh, Ruff's doghouse, is another guy. He's in his last year of his deal. He's a guy that could be moved. Um, you know, even if the Devils retain some of the salary in P.K. Subban, maybe someone takes a flyer on him. But I, I think the Devils are going to be really active in trying to clear out some of these vets and these expiring contracts um, to get more pieces similar to what they did last year. You know, they traded Sammy Vatanen away and got uh, Yanni Kokkinen. Now they re-signed Vatanen and they have Kokkinen. So, you know, you could see something like that, especially with a guy like Zajac. Trade him off, let him take a playoff run, re-sign him. But, uh, yeah, I, I think regardless of the situation they're in, they're going to be very active and they're going to be looking to move out some of these guys to make room for some of these young players that they want to get some ice time, like a, a guy like Nolan Foote, uh, who's been playing in Binghamton. You know, so several other guys down there that they want to try to get some time at the big club. So, um, yeah, expect them to be active regardless. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's the way you put it, it's active in a positive way. So, Mm -hmm. look, if they get uh, a sniff at the playoffs or they even get some experience for the guys, if it goes that way, if it turns that way, that's great. You'll take the playoff experience, no doubt about it. But uh, I also like what you're saying, too. Like I said, get rid of some of the contracts and and, and really just try to continue to move forward with – you know, where this team is going uh, as far as the future. So uh, do you have anything to say about the, the, the two young kids that they saw in there, Thompson and um, um, Talviti? How do you spell his name? You're Steve, yeah, you're better Ar- at names. Arnie Talviti? Talviti. I think it's how you say it. Let me work on Talviti. But, uh, I'll have a slice of, of the Talviti. Yeah, that's if I use it in is... a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> is it a noun? Um, I don't know. A guy like... Like Ty Thompson is, is someone who people are excited to see in the organization. Um, Saviti too had another, had a big season. Um, these guys are just skilled players, just more, more um, fun, creative players to be in the devil's organization. Um, Thompson might get, you know, some time with the big club. I think they expect him to get time with the big club. Um, the other kid will, uh, he's, his entry level deal starts next season. So he'll be playing in Binghamton for the rest of this season. Um, but yeah, just more, these are guys that we've been waiting to, to kind of, you know, get a chance to, to get in the AHL and NHL with the devils. And now they're starting all, it's all happening at one time. It's really exciting time. You know, so it's one thing I noticed is a lot of the devil's fan base is very young. So they don't, um, they don't know the good times that we had through the nineties and early two thousands and stuff. So to see the team start to turn the corner and get better, um, I think it'll only help, you know, with the solidify the younger fan base within the devils and, and, and for them to continue to, to, to grow this loyal fan base. And a lot of these guys are really fun to watch and, uh, you know, it's just, it's a good time to be a devil's fan. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you don't have to remind the young kids about the old devils. I try to forget about the old devils, you know, <laughs> as a Rangers fan, but no. Uh, no, I mean, that just, that should be religion for any devils fan. As you know, I've been preaching that to the Islanders fans too. If they can, you know, the, the old dynasty teams, uh, teams of the past and they have success like that. I mean, you got to rub into some of those stories and, and, and especially when teams are trying to turn things around and, and build back towards winning a championship again. I mean, that's what it all relates back to. I mean, the Islanders got to go all the way back to 83, but they've got two guys that have won a lot of championships running the ship up front. Um, yeah. And like I said, the Devils too, man. Just uh, a lot of winning, Stanley Cup appearances. I mean, that should never be forgotten. So with that said, um, maybe just a little report on, on Lindy Ruft here, maybe as far as where they're at. I mean, it's a little... 
beyond, obviously, the, the midway point. But um, I don't think there's anything wrong with me hitting you up again. Obviously, his first year behind the bench with the, the Devils and, and you getting familiar with him as a fan and, a, and an insider on this. What's your take on Lindy so far? I absolutely love him. I think he's the perfect guy for the job right now. Um, he's really getting the, the guys to believe in themselves. Um, he's not afraid to to point things out when things aren't going right. If the team plays like crap, he's going to say it to the medium. The team played like crap. Uh, if they played well, he's going to say they played well. He's he's really good at. I mean, the fact that Miles Wood and Pavel Zaka, who all but seemed like their careers were going in the wrong direction up until this year, and they've just really those guys have really turned the corner. And I, and I attribute that to to Ruff and what he's done. He's he made it a point to to pull those guys aside and talk to them and said, hey, we believe in you and this is what we want from you. And you see it now with a guy like Pavel Zaka, who he's just shooting the puck from everywhere. He's got that amazing wrist shot. He's getting the confidence. Miles Wood is is just a big body in front of the net. He's he's a tough kid and he's he's you know, they've really found a good role for him. And just getting a guy like Jack Hughes, you know, use your creativity, get out there and, and make things happen. And you could see him the confidence starting to, to pick up in him. And I just think a guy like Ruff is, you know, with his, his background and, and his pedigree. And I think it, he just instantly brought in like um, a calming, stable force to what had otherwise been a chaotic, you know, over the last couple of seasons with the, the GMs and the coaches and everything. It just, uh, you know, he brought some stability to the, the franchise. And, um, you know, I, I just, you know, I can't say enough good things about him. I think he's the, like I said, the right guy for this team at this time. Yeah, no, it's good stuff to to hear. And, I mean, that's that's what you get from a veteran coach, you know, as far as just kind of knowing how to, to get your guys going and, and, and work them into the system. Uh, last thing on the Devils here, too, I want to ask you about, you know, I had a cousin of mine bust my chops about uh, – you know, Caco and and um, and Laffy Lafreniere here. You know, hey, how you how you how's your one and your, your first round draft picks doing? You know, so I'm going to ask They're you. They're playing better. Yeah, I mean, look, look, Laffy's he's the deal. He's going to be there one yeah. way or the other, and and you know, Capo finding his way. He got a couple goals. He'll yep. be all right too. I mean, this the guys up front for the Rangers, the big guys. They're doing their job. So you know, you, you got to wait He'll for be your a- room. There'll What's be that? a Kako will be a perfect piece to go to Buffalo in that uh, inevitable Jack Eichel trade that for the Rangers. So <sighs> no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't see it happening, man. We can't wait for the THS trade deadline show. It's going to be something special. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about your boy Jack Hughes here. All right, sixteen points in thirty games. Go. Yeah, so you know he's equaled his goal total from last season. Um, he's you know he's still he's still growing. I mean, he put on that all that muscle and stuff, and you still kind of see him get ragdoll a bit. But the kid is so creative. I mean, that goal he scored the other day, um, where he just came in and and from that weird angle and and, and put it a uh, top corner. I mean, that that's elite skill. And I, you know, I just think when as he continues to to get a little older and get stronger, those you'll see more of those shots going in. Uh, the kid's a real deal. You know, I, I really like him. He's, he's exudes confidence. He's just so fun to watch out there. You know, we saw a lot of that with his brother Quinn in, in Vancouver last year, how, how smooth he was. And uh, now you're seeing Jack, uh, the same thing with Jack. So uh, just a really exciting player to watch. Probably the most exciting player to, you know, play for the Devils in a really long time. And uh, it just gives you something to kind of pay attention to it. You know, whenever he's on the ice, um, you know, stuff can you know, he can make things happen and uh, just I really like him. I love the pick and uh, I can't wait to, to watch his career, you know, continue to blossom. You know, we don't want to blossom too much here. 
All right. <laughs> as far as Ranger fans are concerned, but we wish them well. I mean, we're looking forward to this. I mean, the crazy thought of, uh, you know, the island this year being a serious Stanley Cup contender, uh, if not mm-hmm. this year, next two years, and you saw what they did last year, it's just scary enough. For both right. of us, as Ranger fans and Devil fans, but absolutely, as our young guys are growing here, I mean, we've talked about this too. I think the the tri-state rivalry here uh, is going to be something uh, with all the talent and the youth and, and and the guys behind the benches and everything else here. So it should be a lot of fun. Crossing our fingers once we get back to regular seasons, full schedules, fans back in the building. There is nothing like it. And like I said, me, you, and, and everybody else here have uh, all experienced that here, and it's it's just the best. So when all three Absolutely. of those teams are playing good, man, we win. So it's all good stuff. All right, Steve-O, let's head out to the West as we always do here. Um, you know, you got Vegas here still running the show up on top here in the division. Colorado playing as well, too. And then uh, Minnesota we talked about last week, too. A lot of fun. Uh, so there, there, there they sit, 45, 43, and 41 points. St. Louis there with 37. Things have tightened up a little bit. I think we touched on this a little bit last week as well, too. Yes, they have. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. Obviously, Sharks and Kings going at it. That didn't help the Kings uh, last night as far as that, that loss. But, um, you know, St. Louis, you know, they're only, um, they're only four points behind Minnesota there. Mm-hmm. But they're only four points ahead of Arizona. Right. So, fun you know, stuff outside here. of the top three of Vegas, Colorado, and and uh, Minnesota, the rest of the division have, have been playing 500 or below 500 over the last you know little while here, and uh, St. Louis has not been uh, overly impressive. You know, they they they're in danger if they don't start you know turning things around. And Bennington has still been really inconsistent. Um, it it will be very interesting. I think the Sharks taking those two games from the Kings. You know, the Sharks were left and buried for dead, and now they're, what, two points behind the Kings with the game in hand? So, I mean, things are really starting to they – could, they could play some serious spoiler um, and make a little run for themselves uh, going down the stretch here. You know, the Sharks always play – that Cody's really, really tough, and the Kings and Cody, you know, play the Cody's really tough. So, um, But the, the Blues, you know, they were just a team I thought was a sure lock to finish in the top four, but, man, they, they're – they, they're feeling the heat right now, for sure. Well, take a look at this, right? So if you're the Coyotes or the Kings mm-hmm. or the Sharks down there and you look at the St. Louis Blues schedule coming up, okay? So they got, they got a, a great game against Minnesota tonight, no doubt about it. Now, hopefully Anaheim can, you know, just push them a, a little bit, you know, get them a little crazy yeah. these next two games. But then it's two against Vegas, two against, three against Minnesota. And then th- four against Colorado, and then another wow. three against four against Minnesota, five against Minnesota. This schedule is just insane. <laughs> then they got two the Ducks, and then the, they end up the season against Vegas. So they are basically going to be fighting for their lives against the the top two teams, top, top wow. three teams who want those. They all want that number one spot. So two and three going to you know beat the crap out of each other in that first round. You know what I'm saying? So Absolutely. and then the other teams here can look at what's going on with St. Louis, and there's there's a little opening there. I mean, there really is. If you look at you know Vegas is Vegas, you know they've been solid from the beginning, but you know Colorado has really turned it on lately. They, you know they're like what, seven and three in their last ten. You know one of their things they were having trouble doing in the beginning of the year was scoring goals. Now they've scored the most goals in the division. They absolutely curb smacked Minnesota in those two games, kind of making a statement right there. Um, that they're they're back. Uh, they're finally getting healthy. Um, that could be 
a nightmare for St. Louis to have to face Colorado and Vegas all those times. And Minnesota, too. I mean, gosh, that I mean, drawing up whoever drew up the schedule may, must not be a Blues fan because that is going to be tough. Absolutely. That is just brutal. Um, so, I mean, amongst the, uh, you know, the guys there hanging down at the end, I mean, you talked about uh, the Sharks there a little bit and you know, the Kings and the Coyotes. I mean, I guess that's just for all of us to sit back and watch. I mean, those three teams uh, have an opportunity to just kind of, they, they know what they got to do. If they want to get into the playoffs, they just got to, you know, put the wins up and get into the games. And yeah. I guess all of us as fans here, we're just going to sit back with the popcorn and, and watch. And, and that's pretty much across the board here in every division, uh, especially those, you know, those last four, five, six spots. You can see the top three teams are kind of, they're going to be gunning for each other to get that number one spot and everything else below it is just going to be, you know, entertaining to see who ends up getting that, that fourth spot and, and also lining up against the trade deadline as far as uh, what pieces are put together. And, you know, with the trade deadline being the 12th, Steve, it really only leaves about two weeks or something, two, three weeks. And I can't remember, Steve, you can remind me, in a regular year, is there is there usually more than two weeks to the, towards the end of the season after you get that a trade deadline, or is it usually more of a month? I can't remember. It's more than that. It's definitely more than two weeks. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely uh, it's, shorter this year, obviously. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you're pretty much, you know, that's why they, they're talking about trades happening before the deadline because with quarantines and stuff like that, you want to get the guys acclimated to the system so you're not just throwing them right into the playoffs and trying to have them get used to playing in, in your system. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's no wiggle room there. And I do want to point, out, point this out. The, the Sharks' next two games are against the Coyotes, you know, and the Sharks have two games in hand on the Coyotes. If the Sharks were to sweep those two games – against the Coyotes and still have the two games in hand, they would leapfrog them in the standings and then have the potential to even widen that lead by those additional two games. So for people thinking like, you know, that uh, there's not a lot left to be, you know, played throughout this season. I mean, there's a lot of crazy things. Like by the time we talk next week, this standings could be again, flipped on their head. So, I mean, what, what a nutty division. Yeah, no, it's great, man. I, you know, that's what you want. You, you, you definitely want the sharks up there and, and the Kingers, and it's great to see that the Yotes are, uh, you know, uh, mixing it up there too. And and it's true, man. St. Louis, they got to be going, man. If they get through this and they get that spot, they'll. There's no doubt they'll definitely have either earned it, or those bottom, you know, five, six, seven teams just, you know, tailed off, and and right. that's all they can hope for. But man, you bring up some great points. Uh, you know, I mean, nothing against the Coyotes, Coyotes, but yeah, I would love to see the Sharks win those two games and just ratchet it up there there's no doubt about it it's gonna be a lot of fun so we got some good things to look forward to uh with the western division and definitely next week me and you will talk about this more uh as far as where everybody's sitting steve the last thing i want to talk about before we go i've asked all the guys their opinions on this um you know um and that's with regards to uh the officiating uh tim peel this week um and just a quick your quick take obviously a longtime fan of the league and uh, in the game and stuff. So uh, what was your take on the uh, thing that happened this week in the NHL with Tim Peel and the officiating? I mean, obviously it's something that we've all talked about that's gone on, the makeup calls. I mean, you, you see it in a regular season game preseason. I mean, you see it all the time. To hear it on the hot mic just kind of confirmed what we already knew. And it, it just kind of felt like the way that the NHL reacted when, you know, this guy was set to retire in a month. Uh, you know, his he's his career was over they just basically ended it and they kind of just trying to sweep it under the rug as if this is not a thing um it's it's on i feel it's unfortunate because i'm sure it's something that goes on on a nightly basis and the fact that he got caught on a mic 
Um, it's unfortunate for him the way his career ended, but you know, it's this, this needs to bring to light the fact that the officiating needs to be more consistent on a nightly basis. If it's a penalty, call a penalty. Um, you know, I know the NFL is going to the eye in the sky next year. And, you know, is that something that might work in the NHL? You know, who knows? It could be something that we see down the pipeline. But, you know, if this doesn't, you know, change the way that the game's officiated or at least make it a little more consistent, then, we'd be, you know, it's something that I think will never get fixed until they, they go to maybe something like the eye in the sky. But, yeah, just an unfortunate event, uh, event for, for Mr. Peel. I feel bad for him with his career about to end. And then it's, he's got to go out as kind of a little black eye. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's oh, wacky. This whole season's wacky. <laughs> it is indeed, Steve-O. And that's why, we're, that's why we're talking about it every week, buddy. Because <laughs> it's fun. Uh, uh, I yeah, don't know if they'll absolutely. have an eye in the sky on the refs. They're definitely going to have an eye in the sky on the, uh, the beer lines uh, for the fans because they, they need everybody to buy beer and make some money. You know, once the fans get back in the stands. Any update on that in Cali? With fans getting back in the stands? Um, I know that baseball is expecting fans in the stands. And I know, you know, our cases are so low right now that, you know, California is on a tiered. Each county is on its own tier. And if we stay where we are right now, Orange County will go to the orange tier, which I think is one of the lowest tiers. So uh, the potential of bringing fans in the building is that much closer. But I haven't heard anything like my ticket rep, you know, hasn't reached out to me or anything regarding uh potential games coming up in the future. So as far as hockey goes, I, I would not be surprised if we didn't see any uh, fans in the stadium here, especially with the teams not looking to make the playoffs. So, um, But baseball, I know for sure they're going to have some fans in the stands. All right. Well, buddy, get on a plane, come out here, and let's find out when the Rangers and the Devils and the Islands are all home on the same weekend. I'll take you to all three games, buddy. Oh, that'd be amazing. Because we're rocking it out here. And we're back in the stands, buddy. It's all good. <laughs> I, might, I might take a road trip to Arizona just to catch a game. There you go, man. You got to do that. All right. Yeah. But, uh, it's all good. Hey, did you get vaccinated yet? No, not yet. All right. I'm getting yeah, mine tonight, I'm... so I'll let you know how it goes, all right? Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Steve. You're the best as always. Have a super weekend. Thanks so much for doing this with you with me. And I always look forward to talking to you. Uh, Best to you and the fam. Stay safe this week, and and, uh, we'll catch up with you next week, buddy. Okay, bud. Talk to you soon. All right. Steve Palombo, ladies and gentlemen, as always, giving us his take on the New Jersey Devils and the West Division out there on the left coast. All right. And that wraps up week 10 here on That Hockey Show. want to thank all you guys out there for listening, downloading, streaming, subscribing, tweeting, posting, all that stuff. We appreciate it. We're having a lot of fun here. And can't thank you guys enough. So, on behalf of yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, Mr. Joe Yerden in Buffalo, Mr. Costa Papulias up in Montreal, Mr. Tam Bamford in Chicago, and as always, Mr. Steve Palumbo out in L.A. THS is out. Have a great week. Enjoy the games. We'll be back here next week as always. THS out. Keep your head up. <laughs>